Hi, friends. Join us as we dive into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. With both a spoiler and spoiler-free analysis, there's something here for everyone. We are your hosts, Leah, Sarah, Tabby, and whether you're a new viewer or a longtime fan, welcome to Becoming Buffy. a great way to start. <laughs> hey friends, welcome back to Becoming Buffy. We are talking about the beloved, the most renowned Buffy episode, Dead Man's Party. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh boy. Okay, and when I say that this is one of the most hated episodes of Buffy, I don't think I would be exaggerating because don't worry, this is there's definitely worse up ones. there. There are worse ones, but this this one is definitely in like the top five possibly. With a, yeah, with the moments at the end. I but. think what makes it worse is not the fact that it's not a poorly done episode because it's actually like a good episode and it's very like beautiful to watch, but like it's just so traumatizing to watch. Yes. Yes, it is. But before we jump into all of that, I have to give you the boring stuff first. First of all, this is the spoiler-free section. We will not be spoiling anything other than what we've already discussed and already watched, which is seasons one, two, and now getting into season three. You guys can find us on Instagram at Becoming Buffy Podcast, also on Tumblr and TikTok. And you can email us at becomingbuffypodcast at gmail.com. And if you guys like this episode and you feel so inclined, please feel free to like and give us a review on Apple Podcast. That would help us out tremendously. So yeah, Dead Man's Party. Let's get into it. <laughs> Written by Marty Noxon, directed by James Whitmore Jr., aired October 6th, 1998. So from the Watcher's Diaries, the episode title is a reference to an Oingo Boingo song of the same name, which I had never heard of them before, and I looked them up just out of curiosity. Very interesting. It's also hilarious because Oz is the one that says the name, and he's the band guy, so I just can imagine Oz watching them. The themes of this episode are running away accomplishes nothing. You can't keep the past buried. You have to address it. And also communication issues. You have to actually talk about things. You can't just bury it. Um, Rhonda Wilcox and David Lavery, two television scholars, Rhonda in particular is known as the mother of Buffy studies, describe this episode as one of the most uncomfortable episodes of the series. They write, the characters' failed attempts to bury their anger are represented by the zombies who appear to attack the party, zombies who are channeled by a mask from the art shop of Buffy's mom perhaps the most wounded by the separation. As they fight the zombies together, the characters achieve a catharsis and are able to reunite, though it is clear the emotional wounds are not completely healed. Overall, then, the narrative sequence in Becoming Anne and Dead Men's Party shows that when you go it alone, you go to hell, and if you return, you must grapple with the buried feelings that will rise. In effect, the choice to fight alone, while heroic, is also presented as wrong. Fighting the forces... What's at stake is the book that you guys can find it in. So I thought that was really interesting. I think 
we've seen from like becoming one of Whistler's like, you know, at the end of the day, you're all you've got, you know, you're the slayer, you have to do this alone. And then in Anne, the whole idea of like, at the end of the day, it's just you and stuff. There's a repeated narrative pushed that Buffy is alone because she is the only slayer. And so I think that this episode is an interesting take on that because Buffy's internalized that message to the point where she's like, I can't ever confide into anyone or tell them how I'm really thinking. Um, yeah. So I don't know. What were your guys' thoughts on the overall episode? Like I think Leah kind of mentioned the quality aspect of it, but like apart from that horrendous scene at the very end, what were your thoughts on the episode? I think like – one, it's it's a very well done episode. It feels very like realistic to the point where it's almost like triggering watching it. The whole episode, I have like this huge anxiety watching it because I mean, I I mean I don't think that I'm special by saying that you know I relate to Buffy's character. I think that's kind of the point. But a lot of the ways that Buffy responds in this character, I really relate to, and I feel like that's how I would have responded. Um. But it's just like one of those things where it's like you can feel Buffy's anxiety rising the whole episode and you can feel everyone else tiptoeing around her. And like it's just like it really feels like when you're in an argument with like a really good friend and neither of you know how to address it and you both don't even really want to because then that means you're going to be like in a fight with like one of your best friends. And so it just has like this really anxious feeling and it's like. Part of me is wanting to applaud the writers and just be like, you know, good job for doing a good job. But then another part of me is like actually physically in pain watching this because it's so uncomfortable to watch. Yeah, it's it's very realistically done. It's interesting because the first episode was all about catching us up on what the characters were doing all summer, slash Buffy choosing to come back and fight again. And this episode is all about the consequences of the previous season's decisions and also the first episode. Um, and, you know, everyone's emotions are on edge because of what happened. And I think part of the themes of this season, as we've talked about before, are choices and accepting responsibility for those choices and Buffy has to learn the consequences of her actions when she leaves her responsibility on the Hellmouth. And she ends up hurting a lot of people, um, not to put the blame all on Buffy, because we will definitely talk about everybody else <laughs> at that point. But I think it's good to like look at both perspectives. Um, Passion of the Nerd says it really well. He says, nobody's right and nobody's wrong, like fully wrong in, in this episode. Um, and he also – he, he does address something. He says, the main problem with this episode is plot of omission, which he made up. He said, the entire plot is driven by people not talking, which in his opinion is poor writing. So many shows do this. He uses Friends as an example <laughs> where he's like, so much of the conflict is driven by, we're not going to talk about this one little thing. And that can lead to very lazy storytelling. Or just rom-coms in general. A lot of it is miscommunication, which is like fine for like if you do it every once in a while, but it's like it tends to be such a pattern. I think this one is a little bit different in my opinion only because there's legitimate pain on everyone's end. And what makes me really frustrated is the fact that everyone's projecting their pain without even like 
asking clarification first. It's just like very targeted without having conversations beforehand. So it's not like it's not like a typical like like rom-com where it's like, oh, they see a little red flags and then it's like, okay, I'm not going to talk about it. And then it's like they start to form their own narrative and then there's like a blow up or whatever. This one, it's like there's legitimate pain from everybody, but yet most of the pain is coming from Buffy's end. And yet everyone's being kind of selfish and not talking and not, mm-hmm. you know, giving like her a chance to explain why she yeah. left, how she was feeling. Like, and I guess we'll talk yeah. about it. But I think the most uncomfortable part for me, because here's the thing the most uncomfortable part for me is just the tension between everyone the whole time. It's not necessarily like the ending scene. The ending scene makes me mad, doesn't make me uncomfortable. But it's the fact that it's like people are avoiding questions, they're avoiding interactions, they're fixing it with other issues. Every time Buffy and Joyce are alone together, it's so awkward. And so like you could you could feel through the screen how uncomfortable and tense it is between them. And it's like I I agree with Tabby, but I think that like not to disagree with you, Sarah, but I don't think it's poor writing. I think that it's well written to a point where it just I mean, I said it like earlier, but I really just feel like the way that everyone is avoided and stuff, it doesn't feel like lazy writing because I feel like this is how the characters would actually respond. And I I understand because I I hate the whole trope of miscommunication as well, but I don't think that this is an episode about miscommunication so much as it is just an episode about like avoiding conflict. And I think that that's, those are two different things. Yeah. I wasn't saying that was my words. That's passion of the nerd who thinks that. I actually think that it works in this episode because that's the whole point of the episode. The whole point of the episode is a lack of communication. It's you're burying your emotions and your feelings deep down in a desire for everything to be normal in quotations or for a desire for peace. And that's not actually the case if you haven't talked about it. And so I think, I mean, that's the whole metaphor of the zombies. Like you can't bury things that come back up. And I'm okay with it for one episode. I think it's totally fine because we all know Buffy writes really well. Well, I think the difference between this and maybe what he's talking about with friends or other rom-coms is that this is self-aware and it's supposed to show you that it's not good. Whereas the other ones, it's like there's a tons of episodes where it's like that's the premise. Yes. And it's like there are yep. obvious situations where people choose not to talk about it. And then yeah. it gets frustrating. It's like, okay, you know. And I love friends. Like friends is such a comfort show for me. It's like in the 90s. It's cute. It's fun. Like, you know, I don't watch it to like get, you know, my my uh, brain turning. It's a palate cleanser show. You know, it's not something, anything deep. But I can get what he's saying. It's very much like, okay, if this is a real situation. Y'all would be stupid not to bring up these things when you're around each other. Yeah. I think every CW show does that. I think that for 22 episodes, somebody has a secret and the entire plot is revolved around that person finding out that secret. And so it's like so much could be just resolved if the person was to tell the other person. And in this situation, I don't think, and I mean, we'll get there, but I don't think Buffy telling them that she had to kill Angel would cause them to react any differently because I don't think, and I don't think it's necessarily Buffy withholding that information. I think it comes down to other things, which we will talk about shortly. All right, here we go. Deadman's party. 
Season three, episode two. Buffy's in a room. She's putting stuff back. That's just like the awkward silences. Her just kind of second guessing every move she makes. I think it's really interesting how bright the room is. Like I don't remember this many colors being in Buffy's room. And I think they did that on purpose to contrast her life and her room in Anne. Well, I was going to say like everything that Buffy wears in this episode seems very out of character. And like, okay, Buffy is somebody who wears pastel colors, but it's never like a full ensemble of like pastel florals. And everything she wore was just like, it felt like she was trying to play the Buffy role that she wasn't feeling. It felt very unlike Buffy. Maybe like she was, you know, putting on a mask, for lack of better words. Ah, I know. Buffy walks into the room and scares Joyce. She puts a hole in the wall. And then I feel like you wouldn't bring up and like, oh, I brought some stuff home from like the art gallery, which we've never seen before. Yeah, what art gallery does this? <laughs> it's like she, we've so far that we've seen, she's never even brought home anything from the art gallery. So why would this episode, she'd bring home something that's so creepy looking? Like what, who in your right mind would bring this home? She actually did bring some stuff home in The Witch. I think it was The Witch because Buffy's telling her about how she tried out for cheerleading and uh, Joyce can't get a crate open and Buffy opens the crate. So we have seen it before. The thing is that like, as far as we know, the Summers don't have an alarm system in their house and they're hanging up this mask that is from Nigeria that's probably some sort of a relic. Like it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Mm. Also, I think this is the first time we've seen Joyce's room. Is it? Yeah, I think it is. This is the first time we've seen Joyce's room. And then we also have like the new coffee place. I think it's just really interesting how there's they've added some new sets in Sunnydale. Um, and yeah, that'll play into the narrative Is this later. the first time we've seen the cafe? Yeah, it is. No way. I didn't know mm-hmm. that. Yep. I like it. I, I wish that we had seen more. I really like it when they like go to a mall or something because mm-hmm. it makes it makes me feel more realistic if they're actually going out and doing things and not just staying at a library or hanging yeah. around campus, you know? Yep. I yeah. agree. Um, and then we have this whole like interaction that's like, this screams, we had a fight. I want to show you I'm not super mad at you, but I'm also am mad at you. But like, I want a relationship to be you know, saved, but then like I'm compromising how I feel and not listening to you in the moment. So there's going to be weird tension. Yep. So it's just so awkward. Like both of them are like tiptoeing around everything. And honestly, I blame Joyce for a lot of stuff that happens only because if she's feeling a certain way, harboring feelings, she says in this interaction, she's like, I want everything back to normal. Like, let's just move on. Like, She's the one who broke that silence. Buffy's very much like walking on eggshells. She doesn't know how to interact. And Joyce is the one that's kind of putting that out there. I will say I do understand why Joyce isn't expressing herself at this moment. Simply because I think she's so fearful of Buffy leaving again and like saying the wrong thing that Joyce just thinks the right thing is to not say anything. And I don't I don't think that's the right thing. I think she should be honest and be like, hey, you know, you leaving hurt me and I'm sorry that I didn't handle things right, you know, and take accountability. But I also think that Joyce is so fearful of saying the wrong thing. Um, but I I I just I hold Joyce less accountable. Um, and obviously until we get to the end, but like simply because she's trying to navigate as a parent. What is the best course of action? 
Yeah, obviously no one handles anything well in this episode. We can just get that out on the table right now. No one is the paradigm of, okay, this is what you should do, except for maybe Giles. Love that man. Um, However, I will say Joyce extra moms in this episode in this moment. The whole, uh, do you want food? Do you want me to get you something? Do you want me to drive you? Like it feels sometimes, or it feels a little bit like she's motivated by guilt. Like she's trying so hard for it to be normal. And it's like, she's trying to do stuff for Buffy so that Buffy's not angry with her so that she alleviates her own guilt. I also think it's really interesting where Joyce is like has the mask, which she's hammering to her her wall, and she says, it cheers up the room. And Buffy says, it's angry at the room, mom. It wants the room to suffer. And I think that's a nice little foreshadowing and sets up the theme of the episode. Everyone in this episode is putting on masks to hide their anger, to hide their hurt, um, just so that everything will be cheerful or, you know, friendly or normal. And I just, I don't know. I love little bits of dialogue like that that are so they just kind of Give up their like double meaning, you know? And then um, Buffy is like, oh, I think I'm going to go out or whatever. And then Joyce is like, she's all awkward. as no Buffy kind of sets it up and it's like, mom, if you don't want me to go, just say so. And then she's like, I want things to be back to normal, blah, 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 blah. So Buffy goes out and she's walking all sad in the alleyway. The same one that Angel stalked her in. Is it really? <laughs> I'm pretty sure the set is the same. Mm. It looks exactly like it. I think there's supposed to be like specific parallels just showing that Angel's never far from her mind. But that could totally be me reading into it. But that's what I thought of when I saw her walking. It especially, just looked like an alleyway to me. Well, no, especially because who does Xander look like in this episode or in this moment? Angel. He's got his hair uber gelled and he's wearing a black trench coat with it popped up. He looks a lot like Angel, at least from yeah, the back. Yeah, he kind of does. I think it's. I think that's intentional. I thought it was just him trying to be yeah. incognito and just to be like a random person or whatever, and trying to feel suave. Well, I think she thought he was a vampire. But it's also interesting that when he's trying to like play Slayer, he ends up looking like Angel. Well, did you guys notice who Cordelia looks like? Kendra, Buffy. Well, she looks like yes. Kendra. She looks like Buffy or Kendra. Yeah. yeah, but Kendra also takes that outfit from Buffy, so it's kind of like. Cordelia senses that Xander still likes Buffy and so she's like trying to dress or maybe Cordelia's just trying to dress like Buffy because she likes Buffy. I don't know. It's really funny how they're all kind of dressed like other people. But I also think that like Buffy's at the place where she realizes she doesn't want to lose her humanity and wants to be like Buffy the girl and then Buffy the slayer and so she can wear cute things and I think that Cordelia is not able to separate the two and so she's like if I'm going to be the slayer, you know, I got to be military and I got to be, you know, all these sorts of things she thinks that the Slayer should be or is. Um, just her like warped view of like what Buffy goes through. So it just kind of cracks me up that she's in like cargo pants and like a, a green tank top. Oh, yeah. Well, it's totally how Cordelia views Buffy. It's so funny. I actually think that she looks really good in it, but it's yeah. hilarious to see her so dressed down. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's kind of cute because she bumps into Xander. Xander's like, you shouldn't sneak up on people like that. Jeez, Buff. And I – Everyone acts very like – what's the word I'm looking for? Very genuine in all these scenes. Like his yeah. bumping – Yeah, realistic. Yes, his bumping with Buffy, he's very much like relieved, sad, happy. Like you see a – like Nikki Brendan does such a good job acting in this. He's honestly such a phenomenal actor. And the reason why I'm so frustrated with Xander half the time is because he plays him way too well. This has nothing to do with like the actor. He plays like – 
Yeah, mm-hmm. douchey, angry, really, no, he, really well. He does, he does way <laughs> too good of a job. I, I, I mean, I agree with Tabby. I think that his acting in this scene specifically was very, like, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Just because, like, you can tell in the subtlety of, like, how he missed Buffy. But then it's also just, like, the pain of anger and trying to hide it. And, yeah. like, he just is showing a range of emotions. Yeah. And I think you really feel that with him. Yep, I agree. Mm-hmm. And Cordelia's moment with Buffy was so genuine too. She's like, hey, Buffy. Like, I don't know. It just – it seemed very like sweet. I was like, oh, like Cordelia, that seems so like genuinely nice. Yeah. I actually like – I think I liked Cordelia better than most of the Scoopies in this episode. Yeah. No, yeah. No, literally. Cordelia, Cordelia, Oz, and Giles sold the show. Uh, yep. Agreed. Okay, did anyone else notice that Seth Green was on some crack in this episode? He was so funny. He was <laughs> he's always every funny, though. No, he's always funny, yeah. Well, yes, but I mean, like, he was just hitting every single mark. Like, his facial expressions, like, everything he was doing was making me just, like, so, like, glued to him in every single scene. I don't know. He was doing such a good job. Passion of the Nerd talks about how they give Seth Green some of the more important lines. Like he has a throwaway line, which is really shouldn't be a it really shouldn't be a throwaway line where he talks about how, oh yeah, you're not wanted for murder anymore. Like that's a big deal. They probably should expound on that a little bit more. But like only Seth Green could get away with just like saying that. It's so funny. Then we cut to outside of Giles's house and poor Buffy looks so terrified. I mean, I I get it. It's like, I don't know. It's so hard because this scene, you really see Giles like putting on a brave face and you know he's got to be hurting. Xander in this moment drove me up the wall. Buffy's clearly like, man, is he going to be angry? Is he Xander, just because you ran away, abandoned your post and your friends and your mom and made him lay awake every night worrying about you, maybe we should wait out here. And I just like, I don't know. I mean, here's the thing. Xander does have a point, but- I think it's harder for us, and I have to remember this, as the viewer, we're privy to what happened. We saw every little moment in motion being played mm-hmm. out, and the rest didn't. And also, I don't think that anybody was really as attached to Angel as Buffy was. So for them, I don't think it was as much of a loss when Angel turned or when Buffy had to kill Angelus. So I have to remember that, but I still feel like Xander in particular says some very cutting and biting things, and it's just unnecessary. And I think I've been thinking more about what you said. Xander is like the inner consciousness and inner dialogue of Buffy. And I was kind of trying to see it in this episode. And I saw a little bit more because every time Buffy was trying to explain herself, he would kind of cut in and then project from the other side. And so I can kind of see that where she's like one side of her brain is trying to like explain it away and then the other side of her is being like okay but what about all these other things well i mean even in this scene Um, it's very clear like buffy's sitting outside the door and she's stressed and xander basically says what she's thinking yep and it's like i don't know he always speaks in like passive aggressive terms which is very frustrating i do understand obviously where he's coming from how giles is thinking but it's like giles knows that he's gonna have a conversation with Buffy, or at least we hope he's going to have a conversation with Buffy. So he's kind of like making sure she's okay. He's like catching up with her and is like not trying to make a scene, I should say. Uh, Giles is really interesting in this episode because I think he is the only person that fully recognizes what Buffy's going through. And you can see him watching her. And I think he knows 
that mm-hmm. Buffy's going to go through a rough transition. He recognizes that everybody has kind of not moved on, but everyone's kind of continued on with their lives. Everyone has like new things that they're doing, new relationships. And I think he recognizes it's going to be a lot harder for Buffy to fit in and have a normal life um, or, you know, go back to what was considered normal for them, not a normal life. But I think he recognizes that it's going to be harder for Buffy than she even realizes. But I also noted that like, I think part of the reason why Giles is so empathetic and understanding in this episode is a, you know, he's older and more of like a fatherly figure. So he's able to detach more. But I also think that Giles himself has experienced pain through magic, through mystical stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think he knows what it feels like to take a life like magically. And so I think that it's, you know, and I, I can't imagine how much worse it is when it's a person you love, but I think it ultimately like Giles knows what it feels like to want to like run away and escape. And I think kind of binds him in Buffy. I don't know that it's necessarily like running away because he killed someone. I think it's, he recognizes what it's like to run away because he doesn't want to be a part of his destiny anymore. He talks about this in the dark age. He doesn't want to be a watcher. So he runs away and joins the occult with a bunch of people. So I think, I think there is that yes, but I think a lot of it just stems from the fact that Giles is an adult and his life experience. And they say people who have been through pain in their lives are the most compassionate. And I think that's part of it, but I think Giles is just more mature than the rest of the gang, honestly. And I think him being a watcher and reading up on like the duties and the sacrifice that a, a slayer has, has more of a window into what Buffy has to go through, you know? I don't know if all the scenes where Giles takes off his glasses because there's a huge emotional scene that that happens. I don't know if that was like – Joss Whedon's input, if that was like his own personal input. I'm it's not Anthony sure, Stewart Head's but, input. Okay. Yeah. Cause he does it a, a lot. And this is one of my favorite times. Oh, this scene is it. just like, beautiful. Uh, it makes me want to cry. Like he's talking with her, like he's like having a good, sweet conversation. And then he walks in the back and then he allows himself to feel and choke up and then snaps out of it. But as he's feeling, he takes off his glasses has a whole like progression of emotions, kind of swallows his emotion, puts his glasses back on, kind of has like a double take, like shakes his head and then walks back out. He's doing everything he can to keep from crying. You can tell like, I think Giles is someone, we talked about this in season two, Giles is someone who bottles his emotions a lot. And so I see him very much trying to not let everyone see how much it actually does affect him. And there's probably a responsibility too. Like I was saying, he's an adult. So he's probably feels this need to have the certain like stoic appearance before the kids. I mean, I would feel really uncomfortable crying in front of them too, but yeah, it's, it's really beautiful. Yeah. I could sit here and talk about like how Giles goes about things compared to Joyce, but I think I'll save that for later on. Um <laughs> And then everyone's just kind of talking about stuff that doesn't really matter. I feel like we're just kind of like talking, not really like acknowledging a lot of things. Um, And then Buffy's like trying to like hang out with people. And I think it's hard only because I'm trying to give benefit of the doubt in the situation because Buffy is saying that she wants to kind of like go out, meaning she wants to have a normal night, but she also wants to hang out with her friends and like kind of ease the tension. Um, 
And maybe this is what they were thinking of when they were trying to like plan a party for her, even though I think that was so stupid. Why would they ever want to do that? I think it's just because they didn't want to be alone with her so they could have, they'd have to talk about things. So, But maybe they thought of her mentioning like going out in this moment meant that she wanted a big welcome home party. I don't know. Um, but then she like looks at Willow and then Willow is like obviously dodging, wanting to hang out with her. It's very frustrating already. Yeah, it is. And so re-watching this episode. So in the past, I've always fully given the blame to everyone else other than Buffy yeah. simply because, I mean, we see where Buffy's coming from. But I think it's not as simple as that. I think that this scene, this moment, everyone was asking her questions about where she was at, what, she, what was going on, like what she did, all this other stuff. And she's intentionally avoiding it as well. Like Giles getting up to go do the teapot and all this stuff is like a pointed – and then Buffy looks over at it. It's a pointed silence. She doesn't want to talk about it, which is fine. Buffy doesn't need to talk about it. However, and Passion the Nerd, I'm going to keep saying this, but his video was super insightful. He, he points out, he goes – it is okay if you need to go away. It is okay if you don't feel like telling your friends what happened or talking to them and stuff like that. But if you do decide to come back, make sure that you're actually ready to talk about it. Because mm. at the end of the day, she did actually hurt her friends by not communicating that she was okay, like they were genuinely worried for her and stuff. I don't, I don't necessarily see it as her abandoning her post, although I think the show does – try to allude to that simply because like in Anne, she's completely given up. However, I think that Buffy needed to recognize that when she came back, people were going to be hurt and she needed to have answers for that and needed to be willing to talk about it at that point. If she wasn't really willing to talk about it, she needed to stay away longer. And maybe I'm just mm -hmm. being unfair, but what do you guys think about that? I disagree. I think that, I mean, big surprise, Leah disagrees, but I think it's more of like, <laughs> I'm a firm believer in you don't have to talk if you don't want to. And also just the idea that you are not like you do not owe people your information. Um, and obviously that is in, in regards to like safety and things like that. I do think she should have reached out to her friends and let them know that she was safe and all that. But I think that it's okay that Buffy doesn't want to talk about it. I think it's okay that she doesn't feel comfortable talking about it yet i think that she just has to communicate that she's not ready to talk about it and i think she does but but i don't necessarily mean like you don't need to say hey this is what i was doing and this is where i went at was at and this is why i ran away i think that there needs to be a recognition on buffy's part that hey like i'm really sorry i hurt you like willow talks about later like hey i needed my friend and i wanted to talk about these things i think it would have been good for buffy to even like ask what they had been doing all summer and what was going on in their lives. And there wasn't really a lot of that. It was just kind of like Buffy was shut down on her end and also like on their end. It's like she just wanted to start over from exactly the moment that she left. Yeah. And that was also unfair on Buffy's end. You know yeah. what I'm saying? No, I, I agree that Buffy definitely needed to see it from their perspective a little bit um, and see that there was some accountability that she could have taken. And I think definitely by the end of the episode, Buffy – fully owns that. Again, I'm not trying to excuse everybody else's crappy behavior. And it's really hard for me to be like, well, I think that Buffy should have done this differently because 
you know, we all feel for Buffy and I see her trying her very best and she's also suffering from trauma. So yeah, I'm just kind of talking about like these, this was the moment where everyone was like, Hey, like talk to us. And she didn't, which is valid. But at the same point, like at least some communication where Buffy said, Hey guys, I'm just not ready to talk about this. It was very traumatic for me. And I think that would have been, they'd be like, Oh yeah. you know, I was about to say the exact same thing. Um, the only thing that I'm mad at Buffy for not doing is just vocalizing that she's not ready to talk about it. She doesn't have to. And if people get mad at her for not wanting to talk about it. That's on them. I feel like she should have at Giles' apartment, should have just been like, hi, hi, hey guys, I am sorry. And I am at least somewhat aware, but I wasn't here. So I can understand, at least to my knowledge, that you guys were in pain, that you were hurt, that you were scared, all these things. Um, and a lot happened to me, but I'm not ready to talk about it, but I'm here now and I'd love to just get back to normal sort of thing. If she had mentioned that, then it'd be like, okay, she's not ready to talk about it. Um, we all can kind of move on. But she's at least addressed the yes. elephant in the room, yeah. you know? And I think too, saying like, I'm sorry I abandoned my post because I mean – I don't think it's quite as dramatic as Xander has made it out to be, but I mean, in Anne, she had given it up completely. So I think that it is fair to say that like she at least thought mm -hmm. about giving it up at some point, whether it was for a very long time or it was just a split second decision. I don't know. But I think she put everybody into an uncomfortable position because now they are aware of the supernatural and they still live on a hellmouth and they don't have the luxury of running away. So right. I mean, I think that some sort of an apology was in place. But again, not justifying what happens later on. I feel I feel really dirty, like saying Buffy was in the wrong. But I hope you guys know what I'm trying to say. No, I felt the same thing because I I fully expected going to this episode just being fuming, angry at everyone other than Buffy. And I think that I understand at least the kernel of where everyone's coming from, you know, and like. I don't know. I felt like I was betraying her too in this episode. I was like, ah, why am I? Why, why do I understand? You know, where Xander's coming from? I'm victim from? shaming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I don't want to side with Xander. I know. On this. But I mean, at least the icebreaker in this scene <laughs> was like, a, "Well, it's like we've dusted nine out of ten. and he's like, six out of ten. She's like, six out of ten. and he whispers <laughs> it so that no one else can hear it. Oh, Such no. a good boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. And then they find out Buffy's still not enrolled in school, that she can't go back, blah, 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 blah. And so we cut to Snyder's office and he's like, absolutely not. <laughs> Snyder. With Snyder and the whole, like his whole, like, he's like, oh, I don't just enjoy it. He's like, I get a tingly feeling. I'm like, oh my gosh. How in the dream. world? <laughs> How is that appropriate? He's like, I not only have the right, I have the most... I have almost nearly physical sensation at the thought of her out of school. Oh, I describe myself oh, as if tingly. I was Joyce. <laughs> no, this whole scene I it's can't. tingly yeah, where yeah, <laughs> he mentions like three times, like the tingly sensation mentions three different times with three different people. I'm like, ew. It's funny to watch it as somebody who's watching a show, <laughs> but some of the stuff he says in this in his office is so damaging to hear from an educator to a child. Like Oh my gosh. Yeah. 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 Well, and it's implied by the end of the episode that he has some pull in the county. Yeah. 
or at least in the um, the town. So it makes sense why he got put in that position. Yeah. No. Yeah. His ugliness, as Buffy describes him. Oh, my God. But he just like – he labels her as like all these things – and it's like, as someone who's underage, she's 17, hearing that she's a troublemaker, hearing that she's, you know, A, B, C, D, E, like, you're going to think that you're those things, and then therefore you're going to become those things. Like, yeah, no, he's completely toxic, and we love him for yeah, it. I know, he's funny. <laughs> Not okay. It's really interesting to note in this episode, and I was like really excited about this when I discovered it. So in this scene in particular, but there's also – in the scene in Joyce's bedroom with Buffy and Giles at one point, and also the scene in the library with the gang talking. So I don't know if you guys noticed, but there's an interesting use of shadow in this episode. And I kept watching and I was like, okay, they light these sets really intentionally. Why do they do it this way? There are multiple scenes where Joyce's face, like her eyes are in shadow and Buffy's eyes are in shadow or the gang's eyes are in shadow or like half their face is covered and stuff. Like it's very, very intentional. And I was like, what in the world? Why are they doing this? And then I figured it out. The shadow is over their eyes where the mask would be. And so what they're trying to do is intentionally show you how everyone is putting on this mask so that life will be normal. Like specifically in this episode, or in this scene, I keep saying that, Joyce is very angry at Snyder and she's kind of lashing out at him, but I don't think she's actually angry at Snyder. I think she's still angry at Buffy. I think she's angry that Buffy's put her in this position. And so the idea is that she's lashing out at Snyder even and not really communicating what she really wants to communicate to Buffy. And that happens in the kitchen, that happens in the library in um in Joyce's bedroom, multiple times when characters are putting on masks or um, trying to pretend like everything is normal. And I just think that's a really cool visual image of what's happening in the episode. I also like that the eyes are the cure in the episode. That's how you kill the demon slash Pat at the end. Um, but it's also, it's also because they're not seeing each other. They're not listening. They're not seeing yes. what the person's going yes. through. And so I think it's a really brilliant metaphor and I think having the shadow over the eyes is them not recognizing the other person. They're blinded. Uh -huh. Yep. And so I didn't even notice the um, shadows, but that really kind of confirms, you know, my my intellect. Your meta meta theory. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but I I don't know. Just the subtleties in these episodes, I just really love because it's like they could have had a cure to kill the demon many different ways, but it was the eyes, which is really intentional. And like the eyes glow in the mask and like there's a lot of there's a lot of symbolism that's going on in this episode when it comes to that. We have another mayor reference. I was about to say, I was like, Joyce threatens going to the mayor and he's like, oh, wouldn't that be interesting? So this is like our third mayor mm -hmm. reference, maybe fourth. So definitely feels – and they had two in this episode. So it feels like something's going to happen with the mayor this season. If there isn't, that's a huge missed opportunity. They're like mentioning the mayor and there's nothing yeah. happens. You're like, okay. It's like the <laughs> – the teacher's pet eggs or something like that. <laughs> that seems very horror though. I'm okay if that never happens. This is very much like – Or the okay. go fish guys out in the ocean. Oh <laughs> That's also very kind of horror. So traumatizing. Of an ending. Ew. Oh, and then we go to the calf. And I don't think I've ever picked this up, guys. I'm not even joking that like she was waiting for Willow and Willow never showed up. 
I'm not even joking. I think I've skipped this episode so many really? times. And I just – I think I've seen this through I'm like, with Tabby. I, I literally forgot that Willow yeah. never showed up. Like that sucks. Oh, no. I, I mean, I get it. I understand on Willow's part. But then it's also like that's kind of scummy to like just not show up. I, I don't really think I get it. I think I'm very frustrated. Yeah, she, I don't think I yeah. get it either. I think that that's stupid. Yeah. I think that why would you avoid someone who's your friend? Like you know that there's no way you're going to – there's also a party or a dinner but going also, on. Like I just don't understand what Willow's thinking I'm sorry. Here. Hold on. This discredits her whole argument in the bedroom. I'm sorry. If this didn't – in. Yes, well, exactly. Bedroom, exactly. If had happened, then I would have been like, okay, I understand. But, but I want to, Buffy. No, you don't. No, you don't. You're just projecting. And oh, okay. You know what? I'll yeah. wait to the bedroom because I have so many just things. Just save it. Yep. Save it. Save it. I'm getting, yep. I'm getting yep. flustered. Can we move on to like Pat because I can just harness all of my hatred on Pat in this next scene? <laughs> I will say, if we're talking about stigmas, Pat had, was so many moms that I knew growing up. Ever talking about? Really? I thought I thought she was like a cliche Karen. I think Pat is the Karen of the Buffy verse. I've literally met so many women like her. I think that's why she's so traumatizing to watch. Yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. everything she says yeah. to Buffy, I'm like, I've had conversations with the women microaggressions. Like that when I was younger, and it's like it's so invasive, and you're just like, mm-hmm. and the whole scene. I mean, I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but she's like. She's like, oh, do you want to speak to my mom? And then Buffy's like, yes. <laughs> so funny. Everyone's been there. Yes, exactly. Well, okay. So Pat says, I sort of took it upon myself to look after her while you were, you know, off and away or what have you. So it's interesting that like Pat is probably the most upfront in the beginning of the episode about what's like your mom's been suffering with this and like you left and all this, even though like she's kind of like trying to be really nice about it. And like, like you said, microaggression, it's, she's still being the most upfront person than anybody else. And I think it's, it's kind of funny. And then she says, well, between your situation and reading deep end of the ocean, well, she was, she was just a wreck. You can imagine. It's the way she does it. This this lady, I've convinced that she is Pat. Like she cannot not be Pat. <laughs> she's the type of person that is in everybody's business and pretends like she's sympathetic and empathetic, but she puts on this act so that she can be a part of all the tea. Like, and she enjoys going around spreading all of the drama. Like, that is who this person is. But okay. So uh, the whole you go be with your mom. You two need to rebond. Oh, oh my god! Telling me what to do is my I, mom. <laughs> okay. I love how Buffy like rolls her eyes. Buffy's normally like very put together when it comes to this stuff. Like doesn't like let her facial expressions run away with her. But with Pat, it's like she can't control herself. So okay, fun fact: The Deep End of the Ocean is written by Jacqueline Mitchard. It was the first Oprah's book club title. And it was written in 1996 about a suburban middle-class family that is torn apart when their youngest son is kidnapped. The mother has a mental breakdown and her husband's name is, ironically, Pat. (laughs) The boy, Ben, eventually finds his way home years later, but he feels torn between two worlds, his adopted one and biological one. The parents struggle to connect with their kid and all of them have emotional scars. And I thought that was a little on the nose. So after that lovely interaction with Pat, we go into the kitchen, <laughs> and I notice a lot of the scenes in the house are very orange. They're very unsettling. I think it kind of describes the vibe of it, but then everything else has like a warm, like normal coloring to it. But I feel like usually we don't really see like an orangey 
color inside the house. I thought that was really weird. Like this whole kitchen theme is very like – I felt like it was dark. Really? It felt very like yellow-orangey. Yeah, I don't know. I just felt like it was very dark and suffocating and oppressive. And I think it's really interesting that they filmed a lot of stuff in the kitchen. I think they mm-hmm. do that for necessity. There's a lot of like opportunities with props and stuff. But I think continually going back to the kitchen reminds us of what happened there last season. Oh, I that's think that's true. intentional. That's true. Oh, yeah. that's a good point, Sarah. I'd never thought about that. Yeah. Well, specifically, I mean, where does Buffy walk into or almost walk into when she hears Joyce talking about how hard it is to have Buffy? It's the kitchen, mm. you know? And so I think it's just – it's intentionally trying to remind us of what happened there, you know? Um, she tells her that Willow got held up, that she tried calling, and then Joyce wants to invite everyone to dinner but didn't ask her, just kind of invited everyone. That's just – I don't know. Yeah, it's Joyce once again just trying to fix things yeah. without actually fixing yep. them. Like Joyce needs to talk to Buffy and she's not, so she's doing everything she can to make herself feel like she's checking that box. Okay, and I know this is petty, but I totally understand Buffy getting like uncomfortable with wanting to have company plates when her friends come over. Oh my god. Mom would be like, let's yeah. get the, <laughs> the Christmas plates. I'd be like, please, mom, no. Like we it's, it's okay. so we embarrassing. Don't have to- <laughs> it's because- <laughs> it is. Why no. is it embarrassing? It's embarrassing because you know that everyone knows that you specifically only brought these out for them. <laughs> like everyone knows you don't eat off of these. And so it's awkward because you like – you can't play it, it off. It puts being pressure. Like, oh, it's just a casual hangout. Like, yep. <laughs> now it's like, oh, shoot, your company. Like I have to entertain you. Yeah. <laughs> or I have to be interesting. I have to be worthy of the kitchen plates that are really nice. It just, it's a lot of yeah. pressure. I don't know why it's weird. I don't know. I'm with you, Buffy. I know I know it's petty, but I'm like, I'm with you. She's like, these aren't, you know, company play people. These are normal play people. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. And so she goes in the basement to get the plates and then the dead cat falls, you know, normal things. Um, <laughs> that Okay. That shot is gorgeous, though. When you have like – you're pulled back and you're watching her approach the bookshelf and there's like a beam of light coming in and it shines directly on Buffy and then shines onto the picture frame and stuff. It's beautifully symbolic in showing – Oh, I forgot about like, the picture what frame. What Buffy wants. Yeah. She looks at the picture of everybody. Mm-hmm. But it's just also just a gorgeous shot. I absolutely love it. I know. That picture like oh, – I'm like, oh, makes me sad. Why is it in the basement though? Like I'm a little confused. That's what I was thinking oh. about too. I was like, did Joyce go? Well, Buffy's gone. Don't need to have Xander and Willow <laughs> like, anymore. God, they really annoyed me. <laughs> and then she's like, go get the company plates and go see the picture so you can yeah. know how much I hate them. I don't know. <laughs> so you can know that I'm mad at you so that you'll talk to me. <laughs> yeah. I just don't get why that's in the basement. Like they've only lived there for like maybe two years now. So not long enough to accumulate pictures. Like recent photos. Well, and in the it was basement. like kind of dusty. I was like, dang, she must have moved this out the day Buffy left. Yeah. Also, why is the cat dead up there? I like, was about how to did say, the cat get in there? How did a like, stray cat get into their basement? Basement. I don't even know. And like, and no one's been up there long enough to like find it or hear it die. Maybe the window up there was cracked open and then it fell in. Maybe. Cause I know cats do go away, like animals do go yeah. away to die, but like a basement is a super random place to go. But I don't know. Wait, animals go away to die? What does that mean? When when animals know they're dying, they usually go find a secluded place away from everybody That's else so to die. Dogs, cats. Well, are you yeah. serious? <laughs> yeah, it's a common thing. That's like pe- so people's depressing. animals will run away and they know oh, that they're gonna go no. die. Oh, a lot of animals no. don't like having people there when they're dying. Yeah. 
Sorry. Oh. Didn't mean to like break your heart. That's so sad. Yeah, that's traumatizing it for Leah. Really I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We we don't have to bring that up. <laughs> Moving on. Let's talk about Pat again. <laughs> Man, this episode's bringing on all the feels. <laughs> anger, sadness, despair. Oh gosh. Everything but happiness. Yeah, mostly anger. I love Kate. This this show. They tend to show a lot of like the symbolism or the subtlety in the subtext, the random plots or like subplots in the episode. Yeah. And this whole like burial scene, Joy says like, goodbye, Stray Cot. Who so lost funny way. too, though. We hope you find it. And you're like, oh, Buffy. Totally talking about Buffy. We hope you find it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Buffy's like, wow, mom, can you just say it to my face? <laughs> Not to the dead cat. Thanks, mom. <laughs> yeah. Do you see the way Joyce throws the cat in the grave too? She's like using two Tosses fingers. It. Yeah. She doesn't want to touch the bag. <laughs> but I also just thought it was funny because like Joyce is like so sweet. She's like, we hope you find your way. And then uh, Buffy's like, uh, what do you want me to say? Thanks for stopping by and dying. <laughs> yeah. But I also just thought it was funny that like Buffy is a literal vampire slayer, but then she'll have her mom bury the cat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's like, oh, dead bodies, no problem. But cats, that's where I draw the line. This scene reminds me of the episode in The Office where Michael projects himself onto the dead bird outside and then he makes everyone have a funeral for it and then he's sitting there sobbing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I think he's going to die alone like the bird. <laughs> <laughs> oh my word. The office is so relatable. <laughs> anyway, okay. He's like projecting himself onto the dead bird, and I just get huge vibes from this scene because we're like, oh, Buffy's the dead cat for sure. <laughs> yeah, I believe it. <laughs> and Joyce is like more comfortable talking to this dead cat than daughter. her own daughter. Yep. <laughs> That's when you're like, maybe you should reevaluate your parenting a little bit. <laughs> Oh man! All I could think about was Giles and Ted. He's like the subtext is becoming um, <laughs> rapidly text. Yeah, literally. <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh, gosh. all right. Gosh. Okay, and then we go to the the room, and then Buffy's just lying in bed. This music is so effing sad. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard music. The cat this just sad died, before. Tabby. The cat just okay, died. It's, more it's than sad. Just, okay, like, the cat. It's been hours. It's nightfall at this point. <laughs> I saw the clock. It was like 11.36 p.m. And then it goes into, you know, the room and then the eyes glow above joys, yada, yada. Um, and then you see the cat resurrect. The cat lives. Yeah. Oh, happy. Cute. Jesus Aww. cat. <laughs> oh, okay. And then this dream sequence. Why didn't they so give Buffy this shirt to wear in a normal episode? Because it's the cutest thing right. I've ever seen. Right. Um, and then she's just walking around the school. No one's there. And then she says, I thought they'd be here. <laughs> so sad. Oh, They are. They're waiting for you. And she's like, am I dreaming? And he's like, I'd be the wrong person to ask. Because he's dead. Like the cat. No. <laughs> and then she says, I'm afraid. And he says, you should be. Uh, Angel. Poor <laughs> Buffy. Well, it's – okay. So it's interesting. The dream that she had in Anne – on the beach, it's always so tender, so sweet. And at the very end, he's like, I'll never leave mm -hmm. you even if you kill me. So it's it's Buffy's subconscious yeah. speaking to her. It's the guilt that she feels. But yeah, I know. It's so sad. I, I I think it's just really sweet that she just keeps dreaming about Angel. And even in, even in death, Angel's giving her advice. And it's also such a tease because we're sitting here like, we want the real Angel. Stop giving us dream Literally. Angel. No, okay. I, no I noted that. I was like, man, I miss having like – 
angel, like real angel on our screen because it's like we keep getting stupid dream versions of him and then we have <laughs> literally half a season of Angelus that's like, can I just have a real thing, please? Yeah. Can Buffy just have happiness? Can Angel just be here? And why is he in the credits just for dream sequences? This doesn't make sense. Anyway, um, so <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Buffy wakes up the next morning, walks downstairs in the kitchen. And this whole conversation, don't get me wrong. I would hate to have to move schools. I would hate to have to go to an all-girls school, to go to a private school, yada, yada, yada. Yep. But I will say in this scenario, Joyce is doing everything she can because Buffy is kicked out of the school she's in. So yes. Buffy giving her a toot in this moment, I'm like, okay, Buffy. Like, it may not have been your fault you were kicked out, but you are kicked out. Yeah, Joyce is trying. She's calling people and even like – Talking about the superintendent, she's like, at least he seems more reasonable than that nasty little horrid bigoted rodent man. Which I was like, fair. dang, Joyce, yeah. go off. Yeah. Apparently, this scene was cut for length. And Joyce says, have you ever noticed his teeth? They're like tiny little rodent teeth, horrible <laughs> gnashing little teeth. You just want to pull them out with pliers. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. And then she mentioned something, and I think I, I like that she brings this up just because it puts a human spin to it because I think that we forget that we live in a quote-unquote the real world just with vampires and everything. And so for her mentioning like, hey, like, don't you think you should like go and talk to the police or like mention it to Snyder or whatever just so they can give you some like, you know, I feel like tolerance. that's a reasonable question. And then she has this whole like subtext phrase where she's like oh like i think they'd be happy to have a superhero on their side and then she stops herself and says is that the right term i mean it's not offensive is it and i think we're all like this ties into you know becoming part two you're finally coming to terms with your daughter or your son or whatever sexuality yeah yeah, yeah and yeah. then it's like you use a term you're like is that okay to say like am i like being offensive yeah. like yeah it's hard because i'm assuming I mean, I don't know. I obviously Joyce somehow found out that Giles was Buffy's watcher. So I'm assuming that Giles probably had a conversation or two with her explaining what a slayer is, all that stuff, because Joyce seems a little bit more comfortable-ish with the idea. Um, and like she has all the information and all the questions answered. But I I wish we had seen like Buffy actually sitting down with Joyce and being like, all right, mom, let's hash this out, let's talk about it. But I think this moment is like her saying, Buffy, you made some bad choices. You just might have to live with the consequences. I just wish you didn't have to be so secretive about things. Buffy's never really told her about that. So I'm assuming Giles has told her that. And so I think it would have been great if we'd actually seen a conversation. I kind of viewed that. it as like she didn't really talk to Giles much. I viewed it as like she did research on her own. Because if my daughter left and told me she was a slayer, I haven't seen her for months. My first thought would be like, okay, what is a slayer? What is she going through? If I can't speak to her, at least I can understand and research. I always yeah. assume that she talked to Giles because, I mean, he was there and they were both trying to find Buffy. And so I think that the best way to try and find Buffy was to give her mom information so that he knew what was going on. But, I mean, the fact that she says, you know, I just wish you didn't have to be so secretive about things. I mean, it's not your fault. You have special circumstances. And it's like, um, yeah, she has special circumstances. So go easy on her and recognize that those bad decisions are made out of trauma and desperation. You know, I think, I don't know. I, my biggest gripe with this whole episode is the lack of empathy and the lack of actually listening to Buffy, but we will get there. We're getting there. We're getting there. 
Yep, and then during their conversation, the cute little cat runs in. Um, Aw, so aw, cute. He came back. He did find his way. He loves them. Yeah, he, he wants to live with them. That, that's his home now. He found his way. <laughs> He's like, let me die in peace. Let me go back to my death spot. Oh, man. And then I love that they call Giles. Yep. They're like, oh, no, we have a pet problem. Let's call Giles. Literally. You're like, I have a cockroach. Let's call Giles to come and kill it. <laughs> oh, man. And then they have this whole conversation up in the room where he's like being very delicate. Where He's like, well, actually, like you can't come to school like you're not allowed on campus. He's being very nice. Like, oh, like should you like stay without being like, oh, you should stay with your mom like Pat did. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's sad because Joyce is like, please, no, it's fine. She can go with you. And it's kind of like big yikes because it feels like Joyce wants her to go. And I think Giles is also put in a really uncomfortable, awkward position because the last conversation he had with Joyce, she's like, you had a secret relationship with my daughter behind your back. Mm -hmm. So Giles is trying to like assess the situation, see if Joyce is comfortable with it, but then also kind of like um, Buffy, like bond with your mom so that she's not angry with me because I'm like having a relationship with her that she wants with you, you know? So it's just, it's so uncomfortable. And it's also, it's interesting because the shadows are back in this scene too, and they're on Giles as well. And you can tell Giles is trying to like pretend like it is normal. And yeah, Mm. it's just really interesting. Um, and then we go to the library. And I think it's always so weird when we cut to the library and Buffy's not there. I definitely felt her absence in this scene. Yeah. Um, especially how they're talking about things. You're like, if Buffy was here, this would not go the way that it did. You know? They're looking at the cat. Oz has like these like funny interactions with the cat. He's like, it smells like it's <laughs> Oz dead. is like completely enamored <laughs> with this cat. I would be it's too. so funny. Oz is usually the one that's very clear-headed and I don't understand how he came to the conclusion yes. to play in the band at Buffy's house and how they all just anonymously agreed, anonymously agreed I, to like have a massive yeah. party. Like I just don't understand where this came from. I actually totally agree. I think Oz is out of character yes. in this episode. I think that Oz Oz would have stuck up for Buffy and said, maybe we shouldn't because I feel like he has in the past. I do agree that Oz's character is a little odd in this one, but I think that you could make the argument that he was just going along with Willow and since Willow is Buffy's best friend, that he just kind of assumed that Willow's judgment was going to be kind of aligned with what Buffy's would be, if that makes sense. Because you see him, he doesn't really say anything. And then when Willow is like, oh, Oz, could you and your band play? He's like, yeah, sure. I think he just kind of assumes Willow has Buffy's best interests at heart. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I still think it's kind of out of character. But yeah, well, it's hard too because, okay, no one wants to go to this quiet, intimate party because no one wants to have to have a conversation and I mean, Xander is like, what do we talk about a gathering anyway? So Buffy, did you meet any nice pimps on your travels? And oh, by the way, thanks for ruining our lives for the past three months. <laughs> oh my gosh. We will get there. Um, but then goes on so to say like, no one wants to talk about it. Like pick one. Pick one or the other. Yeah. Yes. Right. Exactly. And I mean, Giles glares at him. And Willow just looks completely uncomfortable with the subject. Willow, Willow is a – she doesn't like talking about nope. these things. Xander will just barge in head first. Um and I mean, like Xander says, she doesn't want to talk about it. We don't want to talk about it. So why don't we just shut up and dance? And it's like, 
okay, well then don't sit there and gripe about it. If you don't want to talk about it, then don't talk about it behind her back to other people and stuff. It's just, yeah, I don't know. And then Giles interjecting that the party should be something more intimate and stuff. Good on him. It's interesting that at the very end of the scene, he says, all right, all right, have it your way. I'm just glad to have her home. Now things can get back to normal. So Joyce has said she wants it normal. Giles has now said it's normal. And like there's someone else who says, I think Buffy eventually says she wants it normal too. And that keeps being thrown around this episode. And it's everyone just sweeping everything under the rug. It's a cop-out. We want normal. No, something traumatic happened. You have to talk about it. You can't just move on because – Life has changed. You have a new normal now. Mm-hmm. You need to adjust. Yep. Exactly. Ah, and then we cut to the house and poor Buffy. She's setting up the plates that she doesn't want to set up. And then I, I – <laughs> At the party, she doesn't want to attend. Really, I think it's really interesting that she's wearing this dress because this is so not a Buffy dress to me in like in my brain. It's weird. I look at this and I'm like, this is not at all what she would wear. I don't know. It just does not – scream her at all like the color the pattern even the fit of the dress it feels very she's trying to put on something that she's not feeling in the moment so costuming is really interesting in this season particularly for buffy and i can't go into details why 100 percent until the next episode but they dress buffy very extra girly extra frilly extra preppy in this season for a specific reason well, I was going to talk about how I think they also specifically are dressing her in more pastels and stuff to contrast her wardrobe in LA. Oh, absolutely. But they would typically do that for one or two episodes after, but it's literally the entire season. Yeah. Buffy was more grunge in season two. She's really trying to hold on to herself in season three. She's really going through it. Yeah. Anyway, so I can't say anymore, but there is a very noticeable wardrobe shift. I don't think it's completely anti-Buffy. I think it just leans more into the fashionista side of Buffy. Yep. Oh, gosh. Okay. And as much as I hate Pat, this interaction had me dying. So relatable. She opens up the so door. Relatable. And she's and she's like, hey, there you are. Not thinking about any more flights of fancy, I hope. And you're like, girl, shut up. Shut up. Go away, Karen. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, I don't even see her as a Karen. Karen is a whole different thing. Pat is like a specific type of mom I've I encounter a lot. I just – I don't even know how to explain it. Uh, and she's like, oh, like, I hope you like you. whatever she made. Um, Empanadas. Yeah. And she's like, I'm going to come for dinner, blah, 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 blah. And then Buffy's sitting there and she is so uncomfortable. She's like, do you want to see my mom? She's like, yeah. And she's like, mom! How many of us have come out of our bedrooms – to get a drink of water, a snack, whatever, <laughs> and find out that there is a guest at the house and we don't know where our mom is and we're in our PJs and we're just like, do no, you no, want no. my mom? Mom! I stay in my room knowing that there were people in the house. I have seen <laughs> – No, I'm talking about like coming out of your room and then being like, oh, there's people here. There are so many TikToks that I saved on my phone where it's like me coming out of my room when there's guests there to get a drink of water. It's like person wrapped in this like massive blanket and they're like trying to sneak yeah. into the kitchen to get some water. <laughs> yep. That's exactly what I thought when I saw oh, this. Gosh. Oh, my word. It's so funny. And then Joyce, Buffy, I hope you don't mind as she comes down. Like you can't say that to her in front of the person that you invited 
Yeah, there's just – there's so much wrong it's here. It's like us bringing our friends to ask our parents if they can, like, come over and hang out. I still all the yeah, time to manipulate right? them on purpose. And then our parents are, like, super uncomfortable yeah. because they don't want to be the bad guy and say no in front of our poor little friend who's sitting there with so much hope in their eyes. <laughs> <laughs> That's really awful to me. And I was, like, eight, but yep. sometimes it worked. And then everyone comes in. Oh, my gosh. There's, like, 50 people in the house. <gasps> oh, wait, more than okay, so but stressful. Also, not to, like, not to bag on them already, but it's, like, why was Buffy not updated? Told. Like, it's, yeah, it's her in her house. own home. Yes. It's one thing to like plan a party, but to not even give her a heads up. That is just so even if the rest of the episode went differently, I just think like that's such a huge inconvenience because I would never want to host a party. You know how much work that is? That's just such a major inconvenience. Also, like this feels very out of character for Joyce because she's all like, oh, Buffy, you're such a bad influence. You're getting into fights and taking all this stuff. Taking shots and She's in back the there like drinking, <laughs> taking shots, has like people underage drinking in the other part of the house with the band going on. Like well, I think people she's, breaking she's things. She's trying not to like stir the pot. And so I think in her brain, she's like, don't yeah. think about it, don't think about it. I'm going to take a shot so I don't like yell at Buffy. You know what I Just mean? Just let anything happen. Yep. Like I don't really care as long as Buffy's happened because yep. in her mind, she's like, yeah, this mm-hmm. is what Buffy wants. Also too, like the gang decided to make it a huge party without even talking to Joyce, which blows my mind. Like they were like, we're going to bring a band in and they didn't even talk to Joyce. It's just weird. Yeah. It, it's very – this episode, some things I really like and some things make absolutely no sense to me. Like I just don't – I don't understand – and then, okay, uh-huh, Willow uh-huh, is uh-huh. BS here. She is literally lying. Yeah. She's sitting there and she's trying to talk to her. I just like her whole argument up in the bedroom is so dismissed in my, my, my brain because you've shown so many signs of avoiding her. And then you spin it up. Okay, I'm going to wait till we get there. You know what? Whatever. Everyone craps on Xander for good reason. Yep. But Willow is yes. almost as bad as yes. Xander. I think she – okay. I love Willow. I think she has a superiority complex. I think that she goes into arguments thinking that she's only in the right. And she projects and she doesn't listen most of the time. I, or no, not superiority complex. She has a victim complex. That's what I meant to say. A victim complex. Yes. yes. She's just selfish. Yeah. And then she like – so Buffy's like trying to talk to her and Buffy's trying to convey how she's feeling. She's mm-hmm. like, you know – I I didn't think it would be this big. I was kind of hoping it would just be us. And then Willow acts like she can't hear her. Mm-hmm. She totally can hear her. Ugh. And Buffy's being actually really kind for the situation. Like she's trying to give her like the benefit of the doubt by being like, hey, like I just kind of was hoping it would be like us, not like in a passive aggressive way. It's like her just kind of trying to give her an opportunity to kind of explain herself and like talk about it. And she's being completely ignored. Yeah. And she made the effort to go back. She was like, no. Yeah, she this came friendship back. Means much, a lot to me. She goes back and taps her on the shoulder and says, you seem to be avoiding me in the one-on-one sense, which I was like, dang, mm-hmm. Buffy, good job. Willow's like, I'm not avoiding you. Blah, <sighs> like, we're cool. Like, we're just glad you're back. And Buffy's like, you could tell Buffy doesn't believe her. Uh-huh. It's just- But it's also like the balls that took Buffy to come back and then have everyone come over to dinner and then try and talk to Willow. And then a second time go and grab Willow aside. It's like, it's obvious that like Buffy's trying. So it's like. Yeah, the ball her- is now in Willow's court. Yeah, no, 100%. You know? And what Buffy's getting from all of this is you don't actually want me here. Mm-hmm. That's what she's feeling. Yep. Which is valid. Like, 
They definitely, like, they want her there, but it's, like, they're not communicating stuff and Buffy can't read their mind. So all she's seeing is a bunch of people who are avoiding her and she can tell that she's being an inconvenience to them. Mm-hmm. Because they don't really actually want to be there. They're all enamored. Like Willow's so wrapped up in Oz, Xander and Cordelia wrapped up in each other, and her mom's taking shots with Pat. Like it, it they're showing how everyone's kind of moved on with someone else, um, which is totally fine, but they're not making attempts to reach out to Buffy. Yep. And then she walks by Xander and Cordelia, like making out flirting and Buffy's just kind of awkwardly standing there like mid makeout Xander's just like having small talk with her like please don't do that like do your own thing you can talk to me afterwards they're so awkward and they're talking about slaying too of all things as if like oh hey you know it's hot and like all this stuff no I noted that too it's like the goal to sit there and be like oh yeah like I'm gonna miss slaying it was so hot blah 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 when it's like slaying has cost Buffy everything in her life and yep. you're sitting here as this weird, like, kinky fetish when Buffy literally lost the person she loved because of slang. Yep. Like, yep. it's uh, it is it. at the very minimum, it is completely insensitive. And then to be like, you don't open up with us. Okay. <sighs> Moving on. We're getting there. Okay. Can't wait to go off. Yeah. So the mask starts glowing and then we see a really gross burn victim being like resuscitated and then comes back to life. We're skipping over that. It's disgusting. Um, they'll come back into play. We'll see them again. So it's all right. Um, <laughs> no. I went to like my favorite part of the episode. Gosh, Tabby. Man. Um, and then Buffy walks by the kitchen. And then the way Pat, how you holding up, Joyce? Really? I just can't, Sandra. She just wants the tea. She just wants the tea. No, she wants to be somebody who can coddle them because it strokes her ego and makes her look better. Like the people who kind of put on this fake persona of being like the good friend and the empathetic friend. Not everyone, obviously. But like it's because they want to be praised. They want like love and adoration. They want to be, you know, like all these things for people because it strokes their ego and because they can kind of control situations and they can weaponize certain situations against people. Well, she can look at Joyce's situation and it makes her feel yep. better because she's helping yep. Joyce in quotations, but she doesn't have all her life isn't falling apart like Joyce's. Her life is all put together. And if she's talking about other people's issues, then she doesn't have to talk about her own. So she automatically looks and feels better about herself. You know, she's very she's Same. very poor, textbook. Poor Pat gets no mercy. <laughs> she's very textbook. <laughs> I feel like though. I barely know anything about her. <laughs> I mean <laughs> I, I mean, I get it, but it's also like I hate Pat too. But like, we really know very little about her character. I feel no, like we are I know her. A tad bit I know into her. It. Let us project, Leah. She dies in this episode. It doesn't matter. I know. Let us have our moment. We can, you know, this is who she is. We're saying that because we know nothing else I about know, her. But I just, <laughs> I think it's so funny because it's like she really could just be an annoying neighbor, <laughs> like. <laughs> Like, she really could have the best of intentions. She just wants to be Joyce's friend and we're ripping into her like, gosh, we know people <laughs> like you. And she's like, I just want to help you out. <laughs> oh. I think We're supposed to hate Pat, though, you know? So I don't think anyone's going to be like, we're going to get DMs. I liked Pat. How dare you talk about Pat like this? <laughs> Sorry <sighs> for anybody who liked Pat. Okay. And then what Joyce says here is really frustrating. She says, when Buffy was gone, all I could think about was getting her home. And then she mentions how, like, she thought that if she just held Buffy 
and told her that she loved her, everything would be okay. I'm like, well, then why didn't you do that? You're the one who told her to leave. Okay. What, what, what happened to like listening to your daughter and being like, dang, I'm so sorry for those mm-hmm. hurtful words I said. Like it, the, the thing is, is that going into everybody else's conversations, but there's a repeated pattern and theme here. Everybody is so self-absorbed with their pain and what's happening with them that nobody's thinking outside of themselves and is going, man, I wonder why Buffy did this. Man, I wonder what Buffy was thinking. Everyone's like, you know, if I could just hug her and tell her she that I love her instead of like, if I could just hug her and hear her and like find out where she's at and stuff like that. It's just all so selfishly motivated. Also, you can't sit here and throw a pity party if you haven't even done that. When she says that she wants to hug her and tell her that she loves her, like, have you done that? Like, have you given it an opportunity? She hugged her in the Anne episode. I feel like if you're sitting there and like if both of you guys are crying and you tell her to love her, I feel like there's there could be a lot of that's a starting point. That that could there could be a starting point of healing. But it's like I don't I don't think that happened. I don't think a breakthrough happened like that. You know what I mean? Like she's not giving opportunity yeah. for communication. And so and then her saying like yeah. I thought having Buffy home would make it all better, but in some ways it's almost worse. This is also on you, Joy. So you Ugh. also haven't talked to her. Ugh. Yeah. What's stopping you from going mm-hmm. and talking? Yeah, nothing yep. is. Ugh, and Buffy hears that and poor Buff goes upstairs, starts packing. Which Okay, not that I am trying to justify running away, but, like, I don't blame Buffy at all. Like, it took all of her fight to come back to Sunnydale. And she has literally been kicked over and over since she got back. She can't go back to school. She can't, like, continue her normal slang stuff because she can't even go in the library. Like, her... Like, mom is being all rude to her. It's just, like, none of her friends seem like they want her there. I'd leave, too. Like, what's the point? I really relate with Buffy in the sense that I internalize stuff. And so if I feel like I'm just getting beat down by people and there's a lot of conflict and stuff like this, I tend to just, like, want to isolate as well. So I completely understand why she's wanting to do this. Not saying it's the right response, but I, I understand it. I also think it's really interesting. Like, I mean, it's totally intentional and they're doing it like the metaphor of the zombies approaching the house and stuff like that. Like it's escalating with the zombies as it's the conflict in the house is starting to escalate. But I just think that it's paced very well. Like as they're showing everybody's starting to intensify in their conflict, you're watching more and more zombies approach the house. I just think it's kind of cool. And then we go into the library. The cat is going like crazy trying to get out of the cage. And then Giles conveniently finds the page that he already looked over. Why would you reread? I know. I literally <laughs> – I noted that I was like – that was literally the page he was on in the, like the first scene. And then he calls the house and the dude's like, is there a buddy here? Yeah, the stoner dude. No, the exact line the guy goes, he goes, party villa, can I rock you? Same guy who's like judging Buffy for coming out of rehab. <laughs> I'm like, okay, Honestly, dude. I'm kind of sad that he died though. I was like, oh, why do we have to snap his neck? What, what is all these casualties in these random episodes with these like high schoolers? <laughs> like, dang, <laughs> so gruesome for no reason. <laughs> They're like, see where miscommunication leads you? <laughs> yeah, <death."> literally. <laughs> like, metaphor. <laughs> Yeah, right. Don't do drugs, kids. <laughs> oh, and then here's the room. You want to take this, Sarah? 
I'll just bandwagon off of what you're going to say. Okay. So here's the thing. Like, I think it's important to hear each bit of dialogue. So I'm going to play the scenes. You're leaving again? Well, you just stopped by for your lint brush and now you're ready to go? It's not like anyone will mind. Oh, no. Have a great time. Oh, oh, and don't forget to not write. Why are you attacking me? I'm trying. Wow, and it looks so much like giving up. I'm just trying to make things easier. For who? You guys were doing just fine without me. We were doing the best we could. It's not like we had a lot of choice in the matter. Sorry that I had to leave. But you don't know what I was going through. Well, I'd like to. You wouldn't understand. Well, maybe I don't need to understand. Maybe I... I just need you to talk to me. How could I talk to you when you were avoiding me? This isn't easy, Buffy. I know you're going through stuff. <laughs> so am I. I know that you were worried about me, but I... No, I don't just mean that. I mean my life. You know, I, I'm, I'm having all sorts of... I'm dating... I, I'm having serious dating with a werewolf, and, and I'm studying witchcraft and, and killing vampires, and I didn't have anyone to talk to about all this scary life stuff. Okay, let's talk about this scene. I'll give my spiel, and then you guys can do your thing. So Willow is valid in her yep, hurt. I, agree. I will say that. She is valid because... She did want to talk about those things with Buffy, yet Buffy wasn't there. That is valid, absolutely. If your best friend just took off and left, you don't know where she is. If she's coming back, you have big life things happening. Absolutely. It's okay to feel hurt and scared and angry. Thing is, Buffy's back now. Buffy wants to reconnect on her own terms, and Willow is struggling with that. However, Willow, like we've talked about, is doing the exact same thing that she accused Buffy of by not being available this entire episode. So yes, Buffy is like wanting to go do coffee and all this other stuff that's in, like inconvenient for Willow because Willow has stuff going on in her life. The thing is, is that Willow needs to be the bigger person if she really truly does believe that what Buffy did was wrong and needs to be like, all right, so I'm going to make sure that I'm available so we can reconnect. However, she's pretending to not hear Buffy. She's avoiding her. Then she outright lies to her when Buffy asks if anything is wrong. The Scooby's anger, all of their anger is understandable. Their lack of empathy isn't. Willow is trying to get Buffy to open up. Buffy's not ready. And if she's not ready, she's not ready. So them being angry and somewhat resentful that they have to take on the role of fighting vampires, specifically, like, she's like, you know, I'm, I'm fighting vampires and, like, my boyfriend's a werewolf. And it's like, gee, man, if only Buffy could relate with that. But also, too, like, she's talking about how, like, we had no choice in the matter. We were thrust into the slaying of vampires. And, man, like, hmm, that, how inconsiderate really of you. You unique in this struggle. Hmm. You're resentful that you have to take on this role of fighting vampires that you didn't ask for, that you didn't choose, and you're saying that Buffy abandoned her role. However, they seem to have no, absolutely no problem with Buffy being forced into this role on her own, despite never asking for that responsibility. If anything, they should have way more empathy for her because now they understand what it feels like, and that's the frustrating thing for me. Also, this is not the time for Willow to sit here and be like... 
these are all the things that I'm going through when other than slang, everything else does not sound like it's a burden or that it's hard. I'm sorry. Can well, I just I mean, say she's that? She's doing witchcraft. She's learning about something new. Cool. I mean, I understand you wanting to talk about it, but like the comparison, not even, not even, there wasn't even a moment where she was like, you killed your boyfriend, whether or not like he was insulted or not. She doesn't know that, but she knows that she killed Angel. It's like, oh, I have a new boyfriend and I'm starting witchcraft. You know, like, and I had to fill in for you, but also four other friends helped fill in for me. Like, it just, like, I just, it just felt very selfish. The conversation was very much like all these things I'm going through. Yeah. And and I definitely agree that like there is such a self-centered angle that's coming from this. But I also I think it's valid that like Willow has a lot going on in her life. It's not anywhere near the comparison of killing your loved one. But like she is going through a lot. And it's like I think it's understandable that she wants her best friend there. But I think that her approach is just not okay. It's frustrating to me too because let's compare this to what happened the season before. So in When She Was Bad, Willow and Xander talked specifically about how they hadn't seen a vampire that entire summer. But they chose to take it upon themselves to go and fight vampires this summer, which, okay, granted, there might be a difference in the number of vampires. However, Giles tells them in Anne, he's like, you guys don't need to go out and fight vampires. He's like like trying to alleviate the burden, the responsibility on them because that's not their job. So them being over there and be like, gosh, we're forced to go do this. Okay, no, you're not. You're choosing to do that. It is a choice. It is not your responsibility. So it's it's not quite a fair comparison. And yeah. Also, Willow cuts Buffy off as she's trying to explain something. And it's just like, okay, listen, you're not doing any listening whatsoever. But also, okay, her taking the angle of like, you weren't here for me during my like new life changes rather than being like, I was worried for you and I was hurt that you didn't call me. That should be the angle. Not the angle of being like, I wanted my best friend around, which is valid, but like, it doesn't make sense that that's why you're angry. Like, it just feels very selfish to me that in this argument, when you were ignoring her, you're saying you want your best friend around, but clearly you don't based on your actions. You want it on your terms. Mm-hmm. And I think Willow wants it to be how it was before Buffy left. Yeah. And I think everyone needs to recognize things happened, things changed. There is no going back to normal. They have to move on and move forward to a new normal and stop trying to hang on to how things used to be. And it's just, it's selfish. That's what it is. Yeah. And then, okay. Oh, wait, hold on. We haven't gone there yet. Sorry. Goes to the car. This is the whole like- One of the best lines of the of the <laughs> series, seriously. I have a mask that literally says this and it's just my favorite thing ever. He's like, oh, do you like my mask? Oh, yes. It raises the dead. Isn't it pretty? (laughs) Americans. Tony (laughs) kills the execution of this. So his face is so funny. He's so done. He's had it up to here. Well, I I think it's extra funny because he's kind of irritated with Joyce, I think, (laughs) because of her blaming him for Bobby's leaving. So he's like, you idiot. Relatable. I think that's just part of growing up is like when your only alone time is like in the car. So that's when you really get to be honest. 
Giles has been the only person in this episode that's actually like recognized that Buffy's struggling and wrestling and having issues. And I think he's, this is him frustrated, not only at the literal mask, but the figurative mask that everybody's been putting on. And I just, I don't know. I see this as him kind of ranting at the Scoobies as well and be like, gosh, guys, you caused this mess, you mm-hmm. know? Okay. Willow was not the person to tell Joyce that Buffy was putting running away again. That, yeah, that, that was, drove me nuts. I, I mean, yeah, she was selfish beforehand, but I was like, this is not your time. Stop being trying to be superior in this moment. Like, I would have been so mad if I were Buffy. Well, especially because it felt like Buffy and Willow were yeah. kind of getting somewhere. Like, Buffy says, you have no idea how much I missed you, everyone I wanted to call every day. And Willow's like, that doesn't matter, Buffy. It doesn't make it okay that you didn't and stuff. And so, like, it felt like she was softening a little bit. And then Joyce comes in. And then as soon as Willow says that, I'm like, dude, like, what the heck? Uh, and then I, I just – I relate so much with Buffy in this moment. And I think every kid does who's been embarrassed by their mom reprimand them in front of a bunch of people. And she literally looks like she's on the edge of a panic attack. I told Andrew this. I was like the way that she's kind of like not – like looking at the ground No, I wrote that down deeply. too. I said Buffy literally looks like she's having a panic attack. Yeah. She says, mom, please, could you just – like she just needs space. She needs mm-hmm. room to breathe. And that's why she runs out of the room. Yep. Ugh. And the whole, no, I wasn't. I'm not sure. She just – she has a lot of trauma. She isn't sure what's going on. I think it is incredibly selfish to start up an argument, especially to that caliber in front of so many people, especially people that like Buffy goes to school with in front of her friends. It puts her in a situation where other people can have their form opinions that they don't even know the situation about, that they can gang up on her, like swallow it. And then afterwards, you guys can have a discussion. It feels very targeted and manipulative to have a full-on argument in front of a crowd of people, especially her friends who she knows are mad at her too. I just, I hate it. I know Joyce is not thinking clearly because one, I think she's a little buzzed and two, she's angry, but it's very um, disrespectful and it's not thinking of your child and being loving for the other person. Like, okay, so you're starting off a very heated argument inside of a room full of people is not going to help you get the outcome mm-hmm. that you want from this this conversation. And that's that's the problem is all of the Scoobies are talking to Buffy to be heard. They just want to say their piece. And it's like, no, to actually have a productive conversation where conflict is involved, you need to make the other person feel heard and allow them the chance to speak. And that just doesn't happen here. And it's very frustrating because Joyce is one of her main points is you just threw all this on me and you didn't explain it to me. And she, yet she's kind of doing the exact same thing to Buffy right here. I think I'm already exhausted. I don't even want to go through everyone's like anger and points at her. <laughs> and I know I tend to take Buffy's side on most things, but I feel like there's a reason for that because she consistently shows to be more of the bigger person for the most part. And the difference between her responses and their responses, she never once says anything that is to the level of hurt that every single one of them throws at her in this conversation. Yeah. At the most, she says that Xander's annoying. <laughs> yes. You know, her rebuttals are actually really good too. Yes. So most of the arguments happening 
are emotional and don't actually go anywhere. That's the frustrating thing. It's everyone just throwing barbs at each other and mm-hmm. saying what they feel. And it's a lot of finger pointing. Joyce, Xander, and Willow are each trying to convey the pain that Buffy's absence caused them. Joyce is worried about Buffy, didn't know where she was. Willow wanted someone to talk to. And Xander thinks she was selfish in abandoning her point or her post. But no one's actually wanting to like have a resolution. Mm-hmm. They just want they just want to yeah. yell at Buffy. Yep. Yeah. And okay, and I'm just gonna say like what she says to each person back, just because I think we all remember what everyone else says to Buffy. But Buffy yes. tells her mom, she's like, You're the one that told me to go. You told me if I leave, I shouldn't come back. You found out who I really was and you couldn't deal. Don't you remember? Very valid, extremely valid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gosh. Uh, and then Joyce is like, you didn't give me time. Guess what? Mom's not perfect. Oh, that uh, me. It's like, honestly, that's gaslighting. It is. It's yeah. like, oh, I'm sorry. I screwed up. Like, yeah, you could just own up to it rather than being here yeah. like, well, guess what? No one's perfect. We all know that. Just own up to your mistakes. You're making her feel like it's all her fault. I think this scene proves that Joyce didn't mean to throw Buffy out. I think Joyce made an ultimatum, not thinking that Buffy was actually going to go through that door. And when Buffy actually did go through the door, Joyce was like, oh, crap. And so I think that she's trying to justify that in this moment. And she's saying like, hey, I screwed up, but like I didn't really mean for you to go run away and stuff. And it's How like, she's it came out of your mouth. She wouldn't know. No, you she wouldn't know. You have to hold accountability to things you say. Like – Oh my gosh. And she says, I handled it badly, but that doesn't give you the right to punish me. Not everything is about you, Joyce. I'm sorry. It pisses (laughs) me off. Everyone who's in the room, not everything is about you in this situation. Do you think she went away to punish you? Maybe not everything is about you. Why would she go to LA, ignore you, like like threaten everything she's ever built in her life, just... To punish you. What? And then here we go. (laughs) Xander. (laughs) Leah comes in for the Xander part. (laughs) Yeah. This feels like when your mom is yelling at you. And then your sibling chimes in. And then your sibling (laughs) chimes in. And you're just like, shut up, Jordan. Oh, my I think it's one of those things where the reason why I feel like I haven't said a lot about the scene is because I feel like I've already said my piece on Willow. And I've already kind of said my piece on the mom, but just like Xander in the scene, first of all, he has no right over everyone because he knows at least a fraction of what she went through because he knows that Mm -hmm. that spell might have worked. Xander, where do you get off? Like, she's talking to her mother. You were not involved in this. Oh my, the goal. Even when Cordelia steps in, like, Granted, doesn't say the best thing, but Cordelia was trying. Like, oh, it makes me so angry. No, what really triggered me before he even said anything was the fact that he stood behind her. It was very much a, a parent waiting and agreeing <laughs> and waiting for their timing to come in and obliterate you and being like, you're selfish, you're this, and then leaving was stupid and blah, 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 blah. Like, he had his hands in his pocket. He was leaning down. It was very much like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, Waiting it out, waiting for his timing. Y'all know. Uh, <laughs> this episode like, is far too triggering. That's <laughs> what talking about. I feel like this is familiar. <laughs> so, okay, the thing that 
absolutely triggers me, but also I think is hysterical is his first point is you should see what you put her through. Oh, really, Xander? Do you hang out with Joyce a lot? Have you seen her a lot? I seriously doubt he has been hanging out with Joyce at all. Like, I think he's just projecting. Yeah. And I, okay, so what happened to the guilt we see in Xander at the end of Becoming? As far as Buffy knew, Willow wanted Buffy to kill Angel, kick his ass instead of save him. She didn't know about the spell. So why would Buffy go to Xander and Willow? Honestly, I see all of this as a direct result of Xander's lie. I think Buffy not going and talking to everyone is because she feels like they all hated Angel. Her response to him, I was like, yes, Buffy. But then no one holds Xander accountable. It's like all the time. Effing Buffy is the one that gets the third degree all the effing time. Does Xander, maybe Giles will make like a comment or two, but that's it. Like Cordelia gets away with a lot of stuff that she said that's really hurtful with maybe like a little slap on the wrist. But it's like Buffy gets the third degree all the freaking time. And like maybe in this scenario, obviously you're hurting people, but like to this extent, it, yeah, he's like, you know, maybe you don't want to hear it, Buffy, but taking off like you did was incredibly selfish and stupid. Here's the thing. Let's talk about all the selfish and stupid things that Xander has done over the past two seasons. And yet everyone is angry and upset with Buffy for literally just leaving Sunnydale. The bars are on different atmospheres. It's just stupid. Like, mm-hmm. let's talk about bewitched, bothered, and bewildered, mm-hmm. you know? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about um, Xander as a hyena. Obviously, that wasn't in his control, but he never has owned up to it. You know, there's just so many stupid things that Xander himself has done. But or just Buffy's sexual assault and just in general, she's had three attempted assaults. Two of them were by Xander, and the third one, she tried talking to everyone about it, and everyone trailblazed over and said she was selfish in the moment. And just the fact that he's calling her selfish and stupid when his whole kick his ass statement, in my opinion, was selfish and stupid. I just don't see any excuse for that. And Buffy, okay, okay, I screwed up. I know this. I understand 100% what Buffy's feeling in this moment. She recognized where she was wrong. She does. But everyone is piling onto her. And she's like, you guys have no idea what happened to me or what I was feeling. She's trying to explain to them what ha- or why she did what she did, or at least maybe not explain it fully, but let them know there was a reason. I'm not just doing mm-hmm. it because I get kicks, you know, I, I, I'm not just doing it for kicks. I, I did it because I was in such a low place. And then she goes, it's not like I could have gone to you, Xander. You made your feelings about Angel and I perfectly clear. Fair. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. And he's mm-hmm. like, look, I'm sorry your honey was a demon. First of all, <sighs> every other honey of yours has been a demon. So F off yeah. that. Right. Um, not one to talk. And he says something like most girls wouldn't like, you know, over a boy troubles or whatever. I just, I don't, what, how, what do you even label that? I don't even, I've, I've run out of words to say when it comes yeah. to Xander. It's interesting because it's like in Go Fish, the entire gang completely dismisses Buffy's feelings when she's trying to tell them about what happened with um, Cameron, I think his name is Cam. And then she goes and gets completely dismissed and even like, victim shamed Mm -hmm. in the principal's office and then goes and tries to explain her anger and embarrassment to everybody. And they're all looking at her like, gosh, Buffy, your feelings are invalid and they're an inconvenience. So they're setting the precedent for this moment. Why would she come to them 
after the things that happened. Who's to say that they're going to take her seriously? And also, even if they didn't know that she killed Angel, they know she had to kill Angelus, which is still traumatizing. I don't understand Mm -hmm. why no one sees that this isn't that big of a deal. Yep. And then Cordy tries to help. You know, in Cordy fashion, like she doesn't really communicate very well. So Buffy's like, please stop. <laughs> but she did try and I really appreciate it. And I could see where she was going. So props to you, Cordy. Yeah. And oh, yeah. Meanwhile, Giles is fighting zombies in the alley to get know, back to his car. <laughs> and I love how he's like hot wiring his car. There's his ripper past. He's like, like Literally. riding a bloody bicycle. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, oh, how do Giles, I remember doing this? This is my favorite thing. So apparently, this scene was actually censored in Britain because it was considered an imitatable act. They didn't want people going around to hot wiring oh, cars. Oh my gosh. Isn't that hilarious? <laughs> so after Cordy tries, quote unquote, jumping in Buffy's shoes or however she says it. Willow starts to say something and Buff- and Buffy's just like, Willow, please, I can't take this from you too. Yeah. And then Xander raises his voice. Let her finish. You at least owe her that. Dude, Willow already had her say. Willow already had her say. Like- Oh, no one's let Buffy have her say. That's the frustrating part. He's yelling at her when he hasn't even listened to her. It's just stupid. The whole thing is stupid. There's just so much that makes you so bad. Oh, God. Oz stepping in. I was like, Oz, you're amazing. He's like, okay, gonna step in now being referee guy. Yeah. And then the zombies come in. Let's talk about the zombies. Yeah. Can we (laughs) move on? I like how I will say it's you know, the whole metaphor of like, all right, like when hard times come, we have to like work together, you know, blah, 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 blah. Because as soon as like the zombies come in, Buffy immediately is like Xander and he's like, I got it. And they're like working together. So I guess that means they're putting things behind them. I don't know. He's like, I got your back. Oh, good. So oh. glad you have her back. So when I guess people it's might all die, better now. Then you have her back. Oh, no, oh, that's what makes a friend. Here's the thing. I think that's the only part of this episode that I really am frustrated with is the fact that there is no major reconciliation. Like I yep, think that it's yep, yep. I think that it's a well-written episode even the the fact that I hate how they treat Buffy. I think it would have been okay and good if the if there was a big reconciliation moment at the end. And I like that they fought it out. I think that that's not a bad thing, but the fact that there was no apology by Xander, and Willow had like a half apology at the end. We yep. just, we needed more. And that goes along with what we've been saying all along is that it's not enough to show conflict. It's not enough to show what went wrong. You have to show the right way of dealing with things too. You need to show resolution. Also, okay, it makes absolutely no sense that they're not sure if they're vampires or not when they clearly broke into the home. Like, they're not vampires. Oh, I literally didn't think of that. Oh, my. Right? Clearly, they're not in their right mind, though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I didn't even think about that. It's like Halloween all over again. <laughs> I miss Angel. Angel would have had Buppy's back. Where is Literally. Angel? Oh, and then Pat gets dragged away. Oh, poor Pat. Sad. No, not no, Pat. No. Best year. <laughs> oh. uh, I will say the stoner dude, that was sad. Uh, R.I.P. I don't know your name. 
Um, and then like everyone's like fighting their own like zombies, yada, yada, yada. Um, I do like that everyone seems to be listening to Buffy as she's saying, hey, do this. Take this here. We need to get everybody outside. Everyone, even Joyce, is listening to her and is like following her instructions. And I was like, okay, that's that's good. So glad you guys can do that in a life and death situations. But of course they're doing that because they know that she knows what she's doing. Like that doesn't mean anything yeah. to me. I'm like, okay, of course they're going to listen to her because they want to survive. There's a couple of interesting zombies. You can see a girl in a Sunnydale cheerleading costume. No, I noted that. Through the she window. Looks, she's wearing the same exact uh, cheerleading costume that Buffy wore in the first season. Who who buries someone in a cheerleading <laughs> costume? <laughs> Honestly, I think Maybe. it's just the whole idea that people, people in Sunnydale die so often that it's just like just throw people just into, like, bury them holes. yeah they're like just oh, bury no. Them. like oh, no. got another one tosses her in like the the dead cat <laughs> oh no <laughs> that's back. awful tabby <laughs> well it's funny because a dude that looked like daryl from some assembly required attacks willow as well and i just think that's really funny if that was daryl that's what i okay. thought too also okay so you guys notice that Devin cordy's ex uh-huh. is at the house. So it's like Devin, Xander, and, and Daryl there. <laughs> Missed opportunity, guys. That would have been funny. <laughs> All right. And then they carry Pat into Joyce's room. Ah, oh, Pat. Um, and then they're barricading the door. Oz is very chivalrous. He valiantly tells Cordelia to run when she tries to help him from being attacked oh. by a zombie. I was very proud of him. And then Giles comes in. And then they bump into Giles, and she's like, how do we know it's Giles and not zombie Giles? He's like, Cordelia, stop being tiresome. Well, okay, Giles looks genuinely terrified. I don't think he trusts Cordelia to not skewer him. He's like, Cordelia, Cordelia, Cordelia. It's me, it's me, it's me. I'd be scared, yeah. But also, coming into the house where it looks completely trash, like no one else is in there, that's got to be scary. And Giles explains that the zombies are after the mask in Joyce's bedroom, that it holds the power of a zombie demon named Ovu Mobani, or Evil Eye. If one of the zombies puts it on, then they become the demon god. Which, like, you know, not to bag on the show or whatever, but uh, the demon god's a little underwhelming. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> all he did <laughs> I mean, was, it was Pat, so what oh, were you expecting? Yeah. But, like, all that happened was just flash the light. I mean, it's also hysterical because when they do the transition, it's very clearly not Pat underneath the mask anymore. It's the stunt double. Her whole face shape changes. <laughs> Well, I kind of viewed that as like the demon. Like it changed kind of form into the demon. Uh, okay. I didn't really okay. see it as Pat right. at that point because obviously, yeah, the face shape is different, but like I kind of thought that was the point because it kind of molded into the face. Okay. Sure. But if you look at it like the actual <laughs> face changes, I don't know, whatever. It really doesn't matter. But I was like, wait a minute. I like went back. I was like, mm, okay. <laughs> She's like a like a chiseled jawline. She's like 25. <laughs> she does. And her hair looks like – it's not like straight bangs and like that really blunt haircut. But it's actually like kind of cute because it's Buffy. I think it's Sophia Crawford that's underneath there. Um, yeah. It's pretty funny. And then I love um, – uh, Xander's dialogue with Joyce. He's like, generally speaking, when scary things get scared, that's not good. <laughs> yeah, the zombies over there, like, <laughs> like cowering down in front of like demon Pat. <laughs> that would be scary, though. Like, yeah, when scary things get scared, that's not fun. Um, and then Buffy and Pat fall out of the window onto the lawn. They send Oz and out. <laughs> Oz is like trying to kick. He's like kick, kick, and then just like jumps over the railing. Oh my gosh, so funny. 
Then we have this whole like two second fight scene that's very like paralyzes her, paralyzes Oz, paralyzes her, paralyzes whatever. And then Buffy somehow knows that it's the eyes, takes a shovel straight through the eyes with like zero effort from her. <laughs> well, Buffy knows it's the eyes because it paralyzed her the last time. Or it paralyzed her twice in a row, actually. So at that point, she's figured out, okay, I can't actually look. So I feel like Buffy's intuitive and it doesn't, it isn't that hard to recognize, oh, that bright flash that comes out of its eyes every time I look at it makes me unable to move, you know? But <laughs> hey, Pat made you look is hilarious. I love how Buffy just has no hesitation. Obviously, like she didn't have any warm, fuzzy feelings for Pat, but she's just kind of like, eh, like there's no sadness that Pat died. I, but I do feel bad. I do feel bad for Joyce, like how traumatizing like your friend dies. But I also feel like that's her initiation into the Scooby gang in a way, because every single Scooby has had to have someone that they were close to get hurt or even die. And so, true. I don't know, it just felt like you know, everyone else is like, this is another day in the office here, Joyce. And she's like, Pat, who am I going to do a book club with? I like this dialogue and I like the fact that everything happened in the house because Joyce had to be affected by it. So I like the fact that it screwed up yes. in her own home because she can't deny it. And so I like the fact that she says, mm -hmm. is this a typical day at the office? And she's like, no, this was nothing. To kind of put in perspective, like this is nothing. Yeah. I love that she recognizes that this is a job because all of season two, she keeps telling Buffy to be responsible and that one day she would have her own job. So I think Joyce is recognizing more and more what Buffy's going through. And I'm just like, oh, finally. Because that was one of our biggest gripes of season two is like we didn't really get a lot of character development or depth of Joyce. And so we're starting to see jo like Joyce understanding and recognizing where Buffy's coming from. And it's like a breath of fresh air. It's about time, man. Finally. Yep. And then Xander's like, nice moves. And then we're supposed to be like, oh, yay, all is forgiven. They're friends again. At least Buffy and Willow hug. Sure, I guess. That's the start to something. At least we get something at the end with Buffy and Willow. Yeah, I was about to say, I will say I'm at least satisfied with Buffy and Willow's like conversation. Yeah. I think that there could have been more, but it, it's fine. But Xander and Buffy's... The, just the lack of resolution is just just unfair. I will say like Giles has kind of a look as they're all doing that of – it just – it seemed like he was saying with his looks, this is far from over. Like he's watching them all hug and stuff, but I think he is still concerned. I think that Giles recognizes that they still don't know where Buffy's at, what happened. They still don't know why she left. And so I think – I appreciate that Giles is not like, oh, okay, great. Everything's all oh, happy again. I think that I think there's more that he wants to know, you know? Well, I mean, it's not going to be mended by like like little comments to show you that you still like each other. Like, oh, my trauma's no, fixed. and it shouldn't. Yeah. Yeah, it shouldn't. Yep. Okay, let's talk about my favorite scene of this episode. Oh, Go talk for it, about cathartic. All right. Giles enters Snyder's office to have a word with him. Snyder, if that word is Buffy, then I have two words for you. Good and riddance. Now, if you don't mind, I have an appointment with the, the mayor. mayor. Oh, dun, dun, dun. Ripper Giles. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So he does this thing where he like smiles, but it's not really a smile. It's a, I'm going to kill you smile. You can't keep her out of this school. And oh, 
terrifying look on his face. Snyder, I think you'll find I can as he pops mints into his mouth. Giles, you had no grounds for expelling her. Good for Giles for starting out with a reasonable approach. Snyder, I have grounds, I have precedent, and a tingly kind of feeling. (laughs) Giles, Buffy Summers is a minor and is entitled to a public education. Your personal dislike of the girl does not legally entitle you. Snyder, why don't you take it up with the city council? Giles, I thought I'd start with the state Supreme Court. Mic drop. You're powerful in local circles, but I believe I can make life very difficult for you. And he gives him this look, professionally speaking, of course. <laughs> Not like he just like physically threatened to them. Oh my gosh. And Buffy will be allowed back in. Heck yes, she will. Snyder, sorry, I'm not convinced. And that was when I was like, dude, you are playing with fire. I don't know though. I feel like Giles does a pretty good job of putting on this really like meek mannered persona. And so I love that Giles only really pulls out the side of him when he feels it is absolutely necessary. Yeah, but like I don't feel like it was that hard to read between the lines of Giles's mannerisms and everything that he's doing in this moment. And I think Snyder – Snyder I think just has a superiority complex. I think he thinks he can't be touched. I think he's obviously been put into power by powerful people, which is insinuated in this scene. So I think he doesn't think that – he, I think he thinks his word is law, you know? Oh, this this scene. Giles grabs him by the collars he tries to pass and shoves him against the file cabinet. Would you like me to convince you? Ho, 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 ho. <gasps> Perry. It's very satisfying seeing Snyder absolutely terrified. But I just, mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, I agree with you, Sarah. This scene's amazing. Yeah. But it's also just like, it's yep. so interesting because Giles would never do anything like this on his own accord. But he's doing it for Buffy. And it's just like, it's like sweet in a creepy way where you're like, oh, Giles, you're so terrifying. Like, but it's just such (laughs) an interesting scene. I just like to make a headcanon and superimpose Xander's head over Snyder's head. And then imagine the scene over and over with Giles (laughs) pushing Xander up against the file cabinet saying, would you like me to convince you? And he's telling Xander, go apologize to Buffy. It would be nice that, you know, someone holds Xander accountable, but alas, we don't get that. <sighs> okay. So they finally have their date that, you know, we're supposed to forget the Willow Digger from in the beginning of the episode. I hate this um, scene. Just going to say that. Hate it. Really? Tell us. Tell us. <laughs> okay. So Willow's like, you know, they're they're having this moment where they're talking and stuff and Buffy's like... I wish I could have been there with you. And she like apologizes. Willow's like, it's okay. I understand you having to bail and I can forgive that. I have to make allowances for what you're going through and be a grown up about it, which is fine. But then Buffy says, you're really enjoying this whole moral superiority thing, aren't uh-huh. you? Willow, uh-huh. it's like a drug. Mm-hmm. Buffy, fine. Okay, I'm in the bad or I'm the bad. I can take my lumps for a while. Willow, all right, I'll stop giving you a hard time. Run away. And then she just like keeps shooting barbs and giggling about it. And like Buffy takes it good naturedly and like then they mm-hmm. go back and forth. But I'm just like, okay, I don't need to see this. I need to see like sweet bonding moment. I just, I hate it. I think that like Willow isn't actually being kind and listening. Like this, the whole conversation that they've been talking about is about Willow. It's not even about Buffy. 
Like, I don't know. I'm just, I'm frustrated. It would have been nice at the very end. Like this scene could have been improved tenfold if it would have been jumping into Buffy being like, and that's why I felt like I needed to run away. And Willow's like, wow, thank you for explaining your side. Man, I overreacted. Like, you know, something like that. Instead, it's Willow going, I am morally superior because you left and I let you know about it and you were in the wrong and I did absolutely nothing wrong. You know? They just like, they try to play it off as like very lighthearted, like everything's good. Like they're just making jokes at it. But it's like, okay, we can still end on a lighthearted note and kind of like what you're saying. If you don't want to spend five minutes explaining, you could just cut to the point where it's like Buffy's at the end of her conversation and she's like, this is how I felt. And then Willow sitting there in silence for a little bit and it's like, thank you. And I apologize, blah, 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 blah. And then Buffy goes, and I apologize for blah, 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 blah. And then they can joke and crack jokes. But it's like, I think it's the comment beforehand that really kind of bugs me. It's like you're putting the power in Willow's hand and making it seem like Willow did absolutely nothing wrong. I just think that ultimately we just needed like a full apology. And I feel like they didn't think it was necessary. Yeah. They just showed us showed us like their relationship being fine. But it's like there was a lot of damage done and you need an apology from that. We at least need understanding of where Buffy, Buffy's coming from. And I mean, I know that Willow's saying, you know, I I can understand you having to bail and I can forgive that. But then the whole moral superiority thing just kind of makes that seem so selfish once again. Doesn't seem like Willow's actually saying that because she cares for her friend and believes it. She's just saying that because she's like, well, I have to be the bigger person here. Gosh, look at what a great human I am. That's that's not genuine. Well, guys, we did it. We talked about my least favorite episode of season three, and it can only go up from here. So everyone who's over there like, gosh, you said season three was one of the best. I promise it is. This was the worst part. Also, (laughs) I will always make the argument that this is a good episode. It just was Mm -hmm. – it's hard to watch, and I would have preferred a resolve, but I don't think it's a bad episode. All right, guys, that is Dead Man's Party. We will see you guys next week. Um, And as always, guys, you can find us on Instagram, Becoming Buffy Podcast. You can find us on TikTok. Our email is becomingbuffypodcast at gmail.com. And we look forward to seeing you guys next time. And welcome to this week's spoiler section of Dead Man's Party, which is just um, a little taste of what we will get in season seven, which you guys already know about. (laughs) Way to just jump right into that, Leah. (laughs) I felt like that was the elephant in the room. I feel like this episode just reminds everybody of the PTSD that is that freaking episode from season seven, the episode that shall not be named. Well, before we get into that, this is the spoiler section, guys. We will be spoiling everything for the entirety of Buffy as well as the show Angel. So you have been warned. Um, sorry if you Leah spoiled anything for you, but I mean, all they know is were- that something happens in season seven. So <laughs> something happens in every yes. season. So I don't feel like I've spoiled anything yet. I think it's hard only because I know dead men's parties circumstances a lot more than I know empty places circumstances. Um, so I can speak more on this episode, but then when it comes to empty places, the only thing I can think about that everyone was mad at Buffy for was like the fact that like, was it that she was like saying that there might be some casualties in war and everyone's like, Oh my gosh, like 
she doesn't care about everything, whatever, blah, 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 blah. And the fact that like she had like Spike as an alliance, which I feel like is kind of a stupid argument only because it's like, okay, Anya was just killing everyone. She's still in the group. Willow killed someone and there was barely any talk after she came back with being with Giles. Like everyone has done screwed up things and Buffy's like trying to help someone in recovery. So I just don't understand why everyone was so angry with Buffy in season seven. And maybe Sarah, you can enlighten me, but like to like the effect of everyone being so mad and kicking her out. I really just, I don't get it. This one, I really get people being really angry. Do I think that the extent of them being angry and the stuff they're saying, no, but I don't quite – I think that's why Empty Places for me is more frustrating to watch than this episode because I feel like most people have at least a kernel of a reason to be upset. Um. Okay. So since we're jumping in, man, no warm-up, you guys. I was like – I had Sorry. all my notes prepared and then you jumped straight to Empty Places. I'm like felt scrolling like- all the way down <laughs> to the very end of my notes. I just <laughs> felt like it was the most obvious thing, at least on my mind, that it was just like – As much as I love Buffy, one thing that frustrates me about the show and the fact that it's an issue in season three and then all the way in season seven as well is just the fact that too often they have it where there's this big fallout, but there is not enough resolution, especially just in regards to Buffy and her relationships with the group. And I think that that just is frustrating to me because I feel like as a fan base, we deserve more, but also just as characters, I think that they deserve more as well. Yes, I would agree with that. So the difference between these two episodes, the main difference, is in this episode, Dead Man's Party, Buffy wants to leave and in some ways abandon her post as Slayer. And the gang is trying to tell her, no, don't leave your responsibility, keeping the Slayer, don't be selfish, yada, yada. In Empty Places, Buffy wants to stay and wants to be the leader and is like, I'm the slayer. This is my responsibility. This is what I've been chosen to do. Get in line. Follow me. And her friends want her to leave. (laughs) So, I mean, that's boiling it down to its simplest form, but it's just kind of like, guys, like, why is it always Buffy's fault? Maybe you guys need to take a hard look in the mirror and recognize that you guys are part of the problem here. Um, and I mean, we've hashed all of this out in Dead Men's Party in our spoiler-free section, so I don't want to go too much into it. But I, I love that you pointed that out because it's like hypocrisy. Like if Buffy leaves because she feels the burden and it was literally going through one of the hardest points in her life, she's considered selfish and all this stuff and you know doesn't care, blah, 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 blah. And they're all like, you need to be here. You need to fight for your post no matter what because you are the slayer, blah, 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 blah. But then in season seven, she's willing to risk it all, put everything on the line. She's willing to not be liked by anyone as long as she gets the job done and she saves people's lives. And they're all like, oh my gosh, like you're ruling with an iron fist. You're not the only slayer. It's just like Buffy can't do anything right. She leaves, they get mad. She stays, they get mad. Like it's just like Oh my gosh. And I know that they're two different scenarios, but it's just like, it really just feels like Buffy can never win. I think the reason why that is the case, whether it's intentional or not, is the fact that anytime somebody has an extreme amount of pressure on themselves and is supposed to be held as the moral compass, since all the eyes are on them, anytime they screw up, Anytime. It's going to be magnified. It's going to be way harsher because they're supposed to be the leader. They're supposed to be the moral 
rod. But it's like, it's very frustrating because then, then you look at like Faith, for instance, who does everything horrible in the book. Everything. I didn't even like Faith the first few times I watched the show. To be fair, I didn't see her arc on Angel, um, which definitely does boost her up for me. And I definitely, after I watched it, I was like, okay, I I get her coming back in season seven. I get who she was then. Because at first I was like, okay, am I supposed to believe she's just different now? I didn't know what it had happened to her. But it's like you look at Faith and it's like she does awful things. And yes, there were some consequences. But like besides Buffy, no one's really holding her accountable for that later on in the show. Whereas like Buffy does things to like a half degree, probably way less than that. And she gets crucified every time. And I, like, again, like, like Xander or Willow will do crappy things, even Giles sometimes. And it's like nowhere near the third degree that Buffy does. And I think it's because she's supposed to be the lots, because she's the moral compass, it's because she's the most powerful one that like everyone can like wag their finger at her or whatever. And it's like, oh, you did something wrong because they're supposed to be somebody that everyone's following. See, I think Faith is held accountable. I think that Faith going to jail is her definitely being held accountable. So I don't think that there's necessarily a different standard for Buffy and Faith. I think people just have lower expectations for Faith versus Buffy. Fair. I definitely I definitely see that argument when it comes to Willow in particular and even Xander to a certain extent, for sure, specifically in the earlier seasons, not so much in the later seasons. But yeah, there is a very different – standard held for them. And I think part of that is because of Buffy's Slayer calling and Slayer duty, um, which we all know. But I think- Or Anya and Spike. Yeah, Anya and Spike. They don't even mm-hmm. get me started with the whole, <laughs> we don't know if you're better. <laughs> you know, you're just luckier than us. Oh my gosh. Oh which, my gosh. Actually, I, I don't want to talk about that. That angers me to <laughs> my core. Uh, yeah, and I we don't have to talk too much about empty places because there will be time enough for that. We need to save something for the fans to come back for for season seven. Just kidding. Um, no, but there's definitely a very clear correlation. But I will say another – so there's about three major differences that I see between empty places and dead men's party. So the first one was, you know, I said everybody wanted Buffy to leave in empty places and in this one everyone wants her to stay. But also – and this is kind of a gripe I have with the show in general, as we've talked about, is that there is not a lot of healing that is that happens after fights. Deadman's Party is not a season three storyline that is dreadfully important. They put it in to progress the character's growth and to show the fallout of what happened. But you could skip Deadman's Party and go directly from Anne to Faith, Hope, and Trick and you wouldn't miss anything, really, because there's not really any lasting ramifications for this fight. You know, and it's just, it's frustrating. I think that um, part of what makes Empty Places so horrible in contrast is that it's one of the last episodes of the show, and there isn't enough time to recover for it from it. Deadman's Party is so early on in the season that you can kind of get past it um, and there's so many heartwarming moments between the gang that you're like, oh, okay, like it's okay that they were horrible to her. I mean, kind of, but we can get past it because we're like, oh, look, they're hugging it out. They're happy. They're like getting along later on. You have that beautiful moment where Willow's so excited that Buffy's going to go to the same college as her. And they both claps on the floor, giggling and hugging. Like there's moments like that. What do we get after empty places? Um, 
they smile at each other. <laughs> you know, there's just not very much. Um, the biggest bummer about Empty Places and Deadman's Party is the fact that there needs to be conversations after the big fight where everybody reconciles, gets back together, gets back together as if they're in a relationship. But you know what I mean. Gets back to a place where they are apologizing for the harsh words that were said, that they're saying, hey, I understand where you're coming from and we don't really get that. And it's just it's just it's a bummer because everyone's back to normal by the next episode and who's the person that is not back to normal by the next episode? Buffy. Buffy's trauma is dealt with later and it's very frustrating and we see that repeatedly throughout the show. Do you guys want to know something even more infuriating about uh, empty places? Oh, sure. <laughs> this is kind of like jumping way ahead and we'll definitely talk about it again when we get to Empty Places, but I was reading the script for Empty Places. No, you want to hear what they no. cut out? No. No, I oh, think it's no. No. All right, I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it for you guys. Uh, guys, ready? I don't know if I can handle that because I already get so mad. Guys, no. <laughs> All right, here the we fact go. that these actors like they had they did this and then they cut it out like this was going to be in the episode is what is like alarming to me because this happened they just decided to cut it out last second. <sighs> okay. Yes, it was cut out. It's not actually canon, but this is what they were planning on doing. <laughs> I'm nervous because there's so many things that were in the episode that I would have cut out. So it's like how much worse is the things that they did cut out? Who's the person that talked the least? No! Oh my gosh! No! It's not Giles, right? Sarah! I can't... Oh my... I'm gonna cry, y'all. Wait, why? Why Why do we have to hear this? Because, like, Buffy and Giles' relationship is already so severed. I think this will literally make me, like, ruined for Giles' character. And what... Did they give us a reason why everyone said that? No. Was there an apology? No. God, I just get I get so mad. So before I before I read this, I actually understand empty places. I understand why they snapped. I'm actually surprised they didn't snap earlier. For me personally, they should have ha- I think they should have kept empty places in. I think empty places was appropriate. It should have happened halfway through the season though. It shouldn't have happened for episodes from the finale. I think it's four episodes, three or four. The thing is, is that there it needed to happen halfway through where everybody is just like, we don't trust you, Buffy, and stuff because of everything that's happening. And then we see the relationships repaired and then them trusting Buffy and then ending with the finale. It just, it should not have happened so close. It was, it was kind of the final blow on the already very strained Scooby relationship. So, okay, this is the script. So Anya is saying, but you didn't earn them. You didn't work for them. You never had someone come to you and say, yada, yada, yada. Buffy says, I've gotten you this far. And then Xander says, not without a price. Buffy says, Xander. Xander says, we follow you without question, even when you have no idea what you're doing. We keep following you even then, and we keep paying the price. They keep paying the price? I- <gasps> the audacity. The audacity. I mean – the difference is Xander has a choice to follow Buffy. He can go and live Buffy his life and move pays on. Buffy the price. Buffy can't. Yeah. Well, Buffy can't leave. This is her calling. This is her life. It's like, hmm, let's count. Uh, Buffy lost her boyfriend. Buffy lost uh, her life twice. Uh, Buffy almost lost her sister. Buffy lost her mom. Buffy lost her relationship with Riley. Not much of a loss, but it was lost to her. Like, Buffy, uh, <laughs> like, Buffy lost... Count like 
she lost another slayer. She lo- like she lost her mental health. She lost her relationship with Faith. She got it back, but it was like it was never the same. Like <gasps> I'm sorry, Xander, that you lost an eye. An eye. <laughs> <laughs> like that's so annoying. <laughs> uh, fair. So Buffy very quietly in response says, Xander, I've paid the price too sometimes. And that hangs in the air for a moment. Then Giles. So how high does the price have to go before you start saying your way isn't right? Buffy, I still think attacking Caleb's power base could end this. Giles, yes, you think. But when you act alone, Buffy says, is that really something you want to get into? Because we could talk about Spike or Ben. Giles says, if Wait, I Wait, to- why didn't they leave that one in? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Well, apparently they didn't leave that in because Joss didn't think everybody would remember about the time we remember. That Giles killed Ben. Oh, I know. I know, right? Exactly. It's a lot of people's fantasies in the fandom. I think we all remember. <laughs> oh, my God. Not mine, I but I've read about it. <laughs> I think it's interesting that Buffy knows. I think it's really interesting. I always thought she didn't know. So then Giles says, if I acted rashly, it was to protect you. Were you trying to protect Annabelle or Chloe? Buffy, stop it. Giles, more intensely. Or Molly or Xander. And it goes even further back than that, doesn't it? Buffy says, Giles. Giles says seethingly, you act alone and people get hurt, right? People like Jenny. Okay. Um. Yeah, I'm really angry. That... I think what makes me mad about that is that, like, Giles has looked at Buffy and forgiven her about everything with Jenny. And so to throw that in her face years later completely derails all of his kindness to her through everything with Jenny. It takes away – I only have eyes for you when he says forgiveness is an act of compassion. We forgive not because someone deserves it, but because they need it. And it's not, we're not saying Buffy's at fault. And I don't think even Giles in that moment was saying Buffy's at fault at all. I think he recognizes that it's not Buffy's fault, but I think he was having to forgive Angelus. He's having to forgive himself because I'm sure there's probably guilt like, oh, I should have stayed in the library and helped Jenny and stuff, you know? So it's just, we watch Giles do all of this amazing stuff and have these conversations with Buffy who he never places the blame on her. And then six seasons later, we suddenly hear that he's like, yeah, you act rashly. Remember Jenny? Like what? But also we just went through season two and I don't remember him blaming Buffy for what happened to Jenny. Like, did I skip no, over that? Did. He never did. No, he never so did. So why is he no. throwing this in her face now? This seems like I just, you know, you know. Yep. Hanging things yep. over yep. people's head and using it whenever you can be when they're low. Like that's just weaponizing stuff that wasn't even there in the first place. Are we just forgetting the innocent speech at the end where it wasn't her fault and he respected her? God, that is so out of his character. It makes no sense. Yeah. Yeah. And he weaponizes even more in a second. So he says, people like Jenny. And then Buffy says, God damn you, stop. And then she sweeps a vase from Joyce's gallery off the end table and it smashes to the floor and they stare at each other. And then Giles very calmly says, do you see? You are not in the best place you have ever been. You're too raw. You need to take a break. Gaslighting, uh, gaslighting. That is, okay. What the heck? Also, was Giles not the one who just abandoned? Who just left? Just cause. 
I just, this is, I think, part of the reason why Empty Places makes me so mad is because we have episodes like this in season three where they all don't trust her and they all, like, push her her judgment. And there's episode after episode in every single season where everyone challenges Buffy and they question her and it always blows up in their face. And this is one of those episodes. Like, everyone is all, like, mad at Buffy and all this stuff and then it ends up they need her again like that's what makes me mad when episodes like this or empty places come around because it's like you all forget how much she has done how much she has sacrificed and what she has done again like for you yeah that's basically what Spike comes in and says and I mean I don't want to talk too much about empty places we've already talked about way more than um I think any of us want to but it's frustrating that Spike is the one that comes in and says all of this to them. And that speech he gives to Buffy in the abandoned house is beautiful, but I really wish it had been Giles that had come and had that speech yep. with her because yeah. that's who we want to mm-hmm. see, you know? So yeah, it's just – And here's the thing. like it's if frustrating. You, if you ship Spike and Buffy season seven, sure, whatever. But it's like don't put a significant other that is going to end up dying at the end of the show – like, why not, why not have somebody that's been there this whole time that's been on her side that's screwed up and it can have a moment of, like, mending a relationship rather than just trying to shoehorn a romance in there by having that person be the person who knows Buffy the best. It's like, but you don't, though. Like, you don't know Buffy the best. You know, like, why not have Giles? Even Xander or Willow, I'd be like, okay. I'd take it. I will take anything at this point. But it's like the fact that it was a love interest that's going to die in a second and they don't even end up together. It just doesn't make sense to me. It's very frustrating. Yeah. There's a lot. And I'm excited for us to get to season seven because I think that it will be interesting to watch the buildup to this episode. Um, I think we will understand it a little bit more. It's still going to be just as infuriating. But I've heard a lot of people talk about when they – watch Dead Men's Party, they get very angry and irritated. But when they watch Empty Places, they just feel sad. And I think that is really telling that you're so emotionally invested in the characters in Dead Men's Party that you're just like, oh, how could they say that? But then you get to Empty Places and you're just so beat down. You're like, man, I just need to see the gang happy and together and building each other up. And yeah, it's hard. So Guys, man, we have a lot of good stuff coming up. <laughs> Stick with us until season seven. We can talk about it. Well, and places. I promise you our feelings are ju- going to be just as strong and we're going to have just as much to say when season seven comes around. Yep. All that to say, I want to transition to something a lot happier, which is the very next episode. So at the end of this episode, when everybody's hugging and it's after the fight and everything, and they're like, nice moves, you two. And we're like, okay, everything, all is well. Giles has a look that I explained in the last episode that tells us that this is far from over. He has this look of like, okay, this is this isn't done. Something else is going on. And the very next episode, Faith, Hope, and Trick, which we'll talk about next week, which I'm so excited about, Giles gets Buffy to tell him about what happened with Angel and Akathla, and Buffy opens up to him. Willow says, I'm sorry. Buffy says, I've been holding on to that for so long, felt good to get it out. And I think the difference is between this episode and the next one is that Giles gave Buffy time. He gently broached the subject with her a few times, let her know that he's a safe space to talk, and then he didn't push her. He didn't even really 
um, respond when she talked other than to give her like a look of compassion and to tell her that he hears her. And then they just moved on. And I think that it's just precious how intuitive and how much he loves her and how much he really knows her so well in order to understand that she needed to talk about it, even though she didn't understand that she need, needed to talk about it and how he just barely like gently leads her to that place where she says something and then she's like, oh, that felt good. And he's like, okay, we can move on now. And in a way, Buffy got to heal a little bit. And I just think that's so beautiful. And I choose to hold on to that memory <laughs> and not season seven. <laughs> I think that's what we all choose to do. But on a more interesting note on Buffy and Giles' relationship, in the scene where he's talking to Snyder at the end of the episode, it really reminded me of the scene with Ben. It's just interesting to me that the times where we really see Giles go darker is in protection of Buffy. Sometimes too far, but it is always in protection of Buffy. And a part of me wants to be like, aww. And then another part of me wants to be like, oh, like it's almost like Giles sometimes is a little clouded for his love for Buffy that his judgment gets kind of hazy. Yes. Yeah. No, I totally agree. And I don't want to completely bash Giles in season seven because I 100% believe Giles still loved Buffy in season seven. I believe he cared for her. Um, I just don't think we got to see very much of that. And I think that there are still good moments and it's not all horrible and wrong and stuff like that. It's just, it's so hard to watch like him very overtly care for her and love her and protect her here. And then it feels like they're not very united in season seven, even though he does still love her, you know? All right, let's talk about zombies, something happier. <laughs> Never thought I'd say that in a sentence. <laughs> so we see zombies a few times throughout the show, but I think the one that most parallels this episode is the zombies in the Angel episode, The Thin Dead Line. It has zombies also attacking a building with the heroes inside and ironically also has Cordelia in there. And I bet you she was having PTSD being like, oh my gosh, zombies are attacking again. But I think it's cool. It also has Anne Steele or Lily in it as well, which is really, really cool. Yeah, she's the safe house. Um, also, while we we're talking about season seven, in this episode, Buffy jokes about how it's all fun and games until someone loses an eye. Well, and then Xander loses his eye in season seven. I thought I was like, whoa, I um I wonder if that was intentional. <laughs> and it gets brought up, you know, weaponized against her in that conversation, in empty places. So hmm. maybe there is a correlation. <laughs> I think it's funny how many times they reference Xander losing an eye or like foreshadow it. And I don't think that they were planning on having him lose an eye, but it's just really funny. Like they have him dress up in a pirate costume twice. at one point with an eye patch. Oh, twice. You're uh -huh. right. And there were several times and like I think in one of the credits, they have like a beam of light that shines across his eye. Like there are so many different things. It's really I don't funny. think that they were specifically planning on having him have his eye out, but I wouldn't be surprised no, if like yeah. Joss Whedon went back and was like, hmm, this could be a lot of foreshadowing and then just chose to have his eye out. I thought yeah. I saw an interview where someone asked him that and then he made a joke. He was like, he's like, oh, everything's intentional or like something like that. Like, but it seemed like it was pretty serious of his response. I, I will say Joss did notoriously go back and look at things. So I wouldn't be surprised if he did. But It could be that like in season four, he wasn't planning on it. But then like he looked back and was like, oh, I've planned a lot of Easter eggs for this. I'll go with it. There is also a couple references to um, 
well, it's not a direct reference, but the double meat palace. So when Snyder is making fun of Buffy and he talks about how, you know, a hot dog on a stick is hiring, you would look so cute in that hat. And then Buffy has to wear the cow hat on it when she's like at her lowest. Man, this episode was really hard to watch and dissect knowing what all is going to happen later on in the series. Like poor Buffy, man. Well, okay. And then shifting gears a little bit too, not just Buffy, but like there's like, what do you guys think of like Willow? And this episode. Oh, yeah. That's a good question. Because especially the last scene where she talks about like, oh, it's like a drug, you know, like having this like moral yeah. superiority where she like thinks that she knows what's best and then goes with it. Yeah. I I mean, I said this before, but I absolutely hate that scene. I mean, Willow just feeling so superior and then saying, you know, the whole moral superiority – or Buffy says, you're really enjoying this whole moral superiority thing, aren't you? It's like a drug. Whoo, man. It's just – it's crazy. And it's really hard too because I'm like – I think you mentioned it too, Tabs. I'm liking Willow less and less as I'm watching through because I'm seeing just how selfish and self-absorbed – well, I guess it's the same thing. Just how selfish and narcissistic she is. I think on the lighter side, I – I feel like the more I watch the show, the more I kind of understand Willow. And I'm just kind of like mm, – That's good. I think the first time, first few times I watched it, I had such an innocent view of Willow. And I just was like, oh, she's just someone who went like kind of crazy and stuff. But I also just, you know, I think now watching it again and even viewing it through the eyes of an addiction problem, I just kind of feel pity for Willow because I just see this person who just – so desperately is grasping at like power to, for protection for any sort of say. And I just, that's really how yeah. I see Willow is just a character who just desires to kind of stand out in a room and to be powerful. And I think that part of that, it definitely happens in little ways. Um, and I think that's why season seven is so beautiful for her because it's like you kind of start to see her let go of that power and just want to be a helper again. I think one of my favorite things about watching TV shows, specifically TV shows, is that you're able to have empathy for people in normal life that maybe you wouldn't know stuff that they're going through um, and get really mad at and like kind of point fingers at and blah, 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 blah. Uh, a good example of this, I've never seen Euphoria, but I know that like Rue's character, aka um, Zendaya, but like she goes through like an addiction and she like has like depression and is bipolar and like you're able to see the ugliness of her but then understand why she's like that and so you're able to have empathy for her as well but then also not like brush aside her um i guess just like uglier traits or just like the stuff that she does because of that and i think what's cool is that we can see willow starting to struggle with these things and we can see it coming and we can understand her better but i think it's hard only for me because it starts a lot during the seasons when people tend to view her more innocently. She strikes me as one of those people that, yes, she has gone through a lot of hard things. And I think a lot of stuff that she has gone through in her earlier seasons, I really um, relate to. And maybe that's why sometimes I get frustrated with her just because like her ugliness, I can see a little bit in myself if I allowed myself to get there, being really bitter and feeling like you owe yourself a lot of leeway because you've been in a lot of pain. And I think that that is a really, really awful thing to 
to convince yourself of. And I think if you really allow yourself to do that, you can become the victim in any situation. You can be really narcissistic, like so on and so forth. And so I think like she kind of strikes me as somebody who is like, oh, I've gone through all of this. So therefore, like, I don't know, she can say and do things and then everyone has to feel bad for her about it. I don't know if that's really fair. It just it I think certain situations kind of give me that idea of her. I think deep down Will is just incredibly insecure and that's what drives everything in her life. She's insecure. So she thinks if she does things for other people, then that means that they'll love her more, accept her more. Um, She thinks if she learns more and um, has more power, then she won't ever have to feel insecure. So it's just, it is really sad. It's just also very frustrating that she doesn't look at Buffy with a little bit more empathy and recognize that, hey, Buffy's kind of in in a rough place and even is probably struggling with her own security as well and to get out of herself. But then I also think that's part of just being a teenager. Like when you're a teenager, you're typically very selfish just because you're so young. You don't recognize what's going on. Like the whole world feels so against you personally and you're so consumed with what's going on in your own life that it's hard to look out of yourself. So I try to give Willow Grace in that as well. But yeah, that... That episode or that moment was really telling when she was talking about how like the moral superiority thing just feels like a drug. And it just reminds me of the Dark Willow speech where she talks about how Buffy needs every square inch of her ass kicked and stuff because Buffy feels superior and stuff. It just It's really interesting to watch Willow kind of grow and evolve and become Dark Willow. Like it's almost like Dark Willow was always kind of there. And if you just completely took out any empathy and humanity from Willow, that's who Dark Willow becomes. But I'm, I and I learned something this week. It was really interesting that apparently the writers were planning on going down the Dark Willow route of um, Willow being addicted to power and not uh, addiction, not an addicted to magic storyline, but Allison Hannigan asked them to do the addiction to magic storyline because she wanted Willow to be more empathetic and she was afraid if Willow just wanted power, that that would completely destroy her character. I thought that was very I never thought about it in that sense. That's really interesting because yeah. I've heard people, I've heard very diverse ideas of the whole like um, addiction to drugs metaphor whereas like the addiction to power and i i always liked the addiction to drugs aka like um magic because i kind of view them kind of similar like i think it's like you don't have much power in your life so therefore you resort to something and then you become addicted to it and you can't like stop yourself because like you've had unhealthy habits your whole life i feel like she's not very emotionally intelligent so i think the fact that she struggles with like over asserting herself in certain situations. Like she um, with like, Oh, like I'm not getting over Xander for a long time, really pining over that. And then being with Oz. And then when he leaves, she's completely distraught and then being with um, uh, Tara. And then as soon as Tara gets her brain taken away, she's lost all like capabilities. And so I think that I see them kind of as a marriage of the two, um, and I think I prefer the fact that they used magic only because I, I totally agree. If it was power, then I think that it would be deep rooted in her character, whereas something that we can have empathy for in addiction. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it can be both. I think that deep down, I really think Willow does want um, to feel secure and I think she does want power. But I think that through that 
she became addicted to magic, just like you said. I think through her looking for something that made her worthy, something that made her accepted by everyone, that made her a needed, because I think Willow needs to be needed, she found magic and was like, oh, this allows me to get what I want. This allows me to feel useful. This, you know, it helped her bond with Tara. And I think a lot of times her identity got so wrapped up in Tara. And Tara was a witch as well. And Tara, she talks about how, like, you know, Tara knows more about magic than she does. And so I think Willow just poured herself into that as a way of feeling worthy of Tara in some ways, too. And so yeah, I think it just started to spiral out of control. You know, yeah. so well, she even when she's dark willow, she kind of mentioned she's like, Oh, wait, no, she's not even dark willow. This is at the end of, um, I think, wrecked. And she's like, Tara didn't even know that girl talking about past willow. And I think she just feels yeah. insecurity because she's sitting here after they've broken up and she leaves her because she's been dabbling in magic and she's sitting there after having a yep. huge relapse, massive relapse, almost killing, almost hurting Dawn. And she's sitting there and she's just broken and she felt like, she was more loved if she was able to give intellectual advice or help with like computers or, you know, like all those things you see her kind of like wanting to fix in the moment, you know? And so we see yes. glimpses of that. Yep. So two more things. They're small, but in season five, we discovered that the street that the coffee shop is on is called Maple Court and it's in the downtown area. I think it's really, really cool that they're starting to expand the set and show more of the downtown area. Um, and I think it's a very subtle way of leading us into the mayor's arc and into and showing us that Buffy's world is expanding, which is really cool because it's like, all right, if we're going to talk about a mayor, we have to show other parts of the town too. And so by including these new people and, oh, hey, it's an actual town, it makes, I think, the mayor's reach a little bit more impactful. And I just think that's really cool. But I also think it's partially budget. I think the show is just getting more of a budget <laughs> and therefore can make more props and all that. And honestly, I'm here for it. I love seeing the show kind of start to escalate on multiple levels. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's kind of cool. And then the other thing I was going to say was, what do you guys think Dawn would be doing in this episode? Because for sure, for sure, Dawn would be at this party. Do you think she'd be in the kitchen watching Pat and Joyce drink schnapps? Do you think that Dawn would like Pat? Do you think that Dawn would be yelling at Buffy with Joyce and Xander in the living room? What do you think? Talking about like superior, like high ground. Uh, Don would absolutely be taking every advantage of it in this episode by being like, I had to be here and, <laughs> and help mom through all of this stuff. I'm with Pat on this one. Blah, 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 blah. And like all this sort of stuff. And I'm not even a Don hater. I really am not. I don't know why she gets so much crap. I understand people being like annoyed by her. Definitely some episodes, I'm like, I get it. But I'm not a Don hater by any means. Um, I think we also need to give her a little bit of a break. The girl has gone through every trauma in the book. And people are like, she's annoying. I'm like, oh, I'd be way worse <laughs> if I were in that situation in 14. Come on. But she definitely would be like taking every jab she could at Buffy in this moment because she's also bitter that her sister left her. Which to be fair, if if Dawn was in this universe during this time and Buffy just went up and left her younger sister as well, that would be a bit rough only because she'd probably have to raise Dawn along with Joyce. And so I can see that perspective, but you know, I'm making up all these storylines in my head. Probably was just like, oh, Don was sleeping upstairs. That's the memory they created as the monks. <laughs> what do you want to bet that Don would have moved into Buffy's room? <laughs> she comes back and she's like, oh, this is your room? Oh, mom gave it to me. <laughs> 
Buffy's in her like the first shot is Buffy moving all of Dawn's clothes mm-hmm. out of her wardrobe into back into Dawn's. Or you know what she did? She probably put like half her clothes in Buffy's like closet. She didn't even move in there. She just like has all of her like dress up dresses and stuff like that in there. And then Buffy's just tossing it out. Yeah. Well, and okay, I think Dawn would definitely be sitting on Joyce's bed as Joyce is hammering the mask into the wall and being like, Mom, that mask is ugly. <laughs> I think the fight would not have escalated at the very end. I think it would have like People would have been much more honest as time went on because I think Dawn like doesn't hold anything back. So I think instead of there being this awkward elephant in the room between Joyce and Buffy, I think Dawn would have been addressing it earlier on and kind of forced them to talk. Um, but my favorite thing is, okay, so I think it's hilarious how Pat tells Buffy that her and Joyce have a book club. In season five, Joyce and Dawn have a book club. So what do you want to bet that Dawn would have been a part of their book club? And I think that she would have absolutely have hated Pat. I think that she would have just been like, get me out of here. Kind of on the same line with Sarah. I think that she just would have hated Pat. And I think that she would have been mad at Buffy, but I think that ultimately in true sibling form, I think that their mutual hatred for Pat would have reunited Buffy and Dawn. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They would have reconciled like as soon as Pat came into the picture, like Pat comes bringing the empanadas and Donna's over there like, oh, not again. She keeps They give each other the sibling Buffy. like a telepathic eye conversation where they're like, get this girl out of here. I hate her and her stupid empanadas. <laughs> oh my gosh. And Dawn's like, she's always picking the book for book club and I don't like it. Oh my gosh. I really wish Dawn had been there for this episode now. <laughs> oh, I know. All right, guys. Well, that wraps up Dead Man's Party and I can't say I am sad to see it go. Whew. So ready to talk about Faith, Hope, and Trick and everything else that's coming with season three. You guys can find us on Instagram, Becoming Buffy Podcast. You can email us, becomingbuffypodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Tumblr. You can find us on TikTok. Let us know what you guys think Dawn would be doing. Also, let us know your feelings on the comparisons between Empty Places and Dead Man's Party, as well as your thoughts on Willow's arc and what she says to Buffy at the end of this episode. And if you guys really loved this episode and you feel so inclined, feel free to leave us a review and rate our podcast on Apple Podcasts. That would mean so much. As always, guys, we will see you next time.